This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. We're doing it. A whole new week of excitement. Who better to who better to excite us than Bernie Sanders? We'll be talking about Bernie feeling the burn. He is taking it out on Deborah Wasserman Schultz, the chair of the Democratic Party. Wow. It's getting tense on the Dem side. So we will be going to Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, and uh, getting his inside scoop on that. Find out if anything, uh, any any news, you know, in the cloak room where they hang their... Oh, right. The cloak room. Their like, cloaks. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> we'll find out what's going on behind the scenes. We'll get to that. Also, by the way, hour number two, the surprising benefits of a bromance, hmm. which is super. I think this will be great for Ben to learn about. Um, Wait, why is that? Just because you've got a lot of friends that are guys, bros. I mean, it's okay. It's it's very healthy, apparently. Have you been Facebook stalking me? Oh yeah, all weekend. That's all I did all weekend. Is check all that out. Plus, we'll talk about uh, men and grieving. It, it's they don't always seem to go together. No, but they got to because you got to grieve when you're a man and somebody passes. And but you have to do it in private. Yeah. No witnesses. Private grieving. Yeah. That's well, really the best way. Is it? Is it? I don't know. You're no, the, no, you're the you, doctor. You, you got to just be healthy. Really? Just let it go? Just let it go. Hmm. I mean. But then everyone will remember that you cried. But that's. And you don't want them fine. to remember that. You want them to remember that you were strong and stalwart. Well, or that you're human and eh, that you just had an a, emotion and you dealt with that's it. That's a little overrated. This is why you need a romance because then your buddies can say, hey. You got that fluid coming from your eyeballs. Let's go golf. Then you can go golf. Your guy, your guy so friends will pull you out of it. What is a bromance? It's a romance with a bro. It's a really good, close, tight friendship with some guys. We've talked about it on the show before. That we have. It kind of makes it so it's embarrassing. There's so almost you don't kind want of a, a best friend. If you have a best friend, then then you, we, you you talked before you had a coach's corner about how sometimes women will kind of make fun of that. Yeah, they make fun of the romance. And it, in a way, it's kind of shaming the guy for having a friend. Yeah, you have a friend, and you are that close that you want to share your best ideas and thoughts with them. That's weird. Yeah, it's so weird. But women have best friends; they do that all the time. There are some benefits apparently to having a bromance. Oof. We don't. I guess, I guess we'll have to find out. You, know, you shouldn't shame a guy for having a best friend. I mean, the, if a guy can actually find a best friend and then they want to talk, I mean, that's weird, but let's do it. I was told by another guy yeah. that once you get married, you don't have best friends anymore. Oh, yeah. You, you have a wife. I kind of believe that. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what happens. But that's more like life and time. Yeah. But he's saying it in a sense of like, you're not a grown adult if you still have best friends. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I think if you call them buddies, it's fine. <laughs> Men have the weirdest language. Yeah. They're not – we're not like friends. We're just buddies. Yeah. We're, he's my pal. It's like we're all, we're all afraid to have a friend. But we got we to be careful around the subject because I don't want Ben to be discouraged. Right. Or think he might want to be your friend. Right. Yeah, you don't want to go too Good far. Good point on that one. Keep our social distance here. <laughs> Did you bring any ice cream today, Ben? 
Um, no. Okay. I, Never mind. Don't don't say anything else. I didn't think I need to bring it to protect myself today. So not protect yourself, just more to ransom. Kind ransom. of include yourself. Yeah. Anyway, we'll do that some other time. Let's first get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on around the rest of the country, Terry? Thanks, Matt. In a new ABC Washington Post poll, Donald Trump leads Hillary Clinton 46 to 44, indicating consolidation of the Republican Party after he secured the nomination. He and Clinton have historically high unfavorability ratings as well. Some 60% of respondents view Trump as unfavorable. 53% feel that way about Clinton. Less than half of the respondents on either side of the aisle say that they back their candidate strongly and half of each candidate's supporters indicate they are voting to prevent the other candidate from winning. Wow. So they're not voting wow. for the candidate, they're voting against the other candidate. <laughs> this this is going to be a great election. election. Bernie Sanders raising money for Tim Canova, who is running against uh, the Democratic National Committee Chair, Committee Chair Deb, Debbie Wasserman Schultz after he made it clear that he was, not in, he was endorsing him over her. So let me introduce you to Tim Canova, progressive challenger who's running against uh, Representative Schultz and a Democratic Party. So he's trying to unseat the person who he feels is undermining his campaign. Yeah. So that'll be fun. President Obama announced in Hanoi this morning that the U.S. is fully lifting the ban on the sale of military equipment to Vietnam that has been in place for some 50 years. Obama, speaking at a joint news conference with the president president of Vietnam, said arms sales will still need to meet restrict requirements, including those related to human rights, but called the embargo a lingering vestige of the Cold War. Vietnam had pressed the U.S. for the change, and Obama alluded to the increasing aggressive posture of China in the South China Sea as mm. A reason why okay. this is happening. Mexico approved the extradition of drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman to the U.S. The U.S. apparently guaranteed that he would not face the death penalty, which is not used in Mexico. And this, according to ABC News, two-time the two-time prison escapee has 30 days to appeal the decision made by the Mexican Foreign Ministry. Should he do so, it could be months before El Chapo actually makes it to the United States. El Chapo. El Chapo. And finally, yes, two brothers. What? Charged in Florida with stealing around $30,000 worth of comic books from their grandparents. Wow. Yeah, Nicholas and Robert Mason were arrested for grand theft and 16 counts of dealing in stolen property. According to the county sheriff's office, arrest reports uh, have Robert Mason stole the comic books from a comic book they, from a comic book shop. The owner of the comic book shop said uh, one of the brothers, they said that their grandparents had owned a comic book shop before. And that they had died, but then they found out the grandparents are alive. Grandparents had a comic book shop back in the day. How cool. And so they had all these comic books at the house, and the brothers stole it to make <sighs> some money. These kids. And the comic book, the, the place where they took it, the guy's like, I don't know about this. So he called it in. And, and found out that. They'd ripped off their grandparents. What is the deal? It's a, it used to be that you were such a clean cut kid for having a comic book. But I was mad because it's $30,000, so there had to have been one or two that were collector's items. Oh, yeah. You can't oh, do yeah. it with like well, 99 unless they had like 10 tons. Yeah. <laughs> Just back up like seven trucks full of comic books. Yeah. That's uh, – they are. I, I'm going to bet they were into no good. Yeah. They needed the money for something. It didn't go into it, but it's it's Florida. Okay. So go ahead. Speculators, you struggling. Will. Illegal alligator sales. Yeah, they're yeah, probably just selling alligator skins. Hey, um, Ben started laughing when he anytime he hears the word El Chapo. El Chapo. Well, just the whole name. Why do you? Why Joaquin do you, El Chapo? Why Guzman. do you laugh about that? I don't know. It just made me laugh a little bit. <laughs> I just like pointing that out. 
I got you. Nobody look. heard that. I know, but it was just pretty funny that you just like he gets a belly laugh. Yeah. He actually puts his hand on his belly, his belly, and he starts jiggling his belly. Hmm. Anywho, wow. um, Donald Trump is what is the deal? He is he is on the ABC Washington Post. He's up by two points. Yes. I mean, that's ABC News, Washington Post poll. Right. That's cr- it's not an NBC MailChimp poll. I know. Does that have anything to do with <laughs> no. a I just thought that was hilarious that they they tag it. They uh, tag their polls with MailChimp for some this reason. Is, do people not know that Donald Trump can't win? Do they not understand? Well, I mean, there is some. There's a we have a, a clip of Hillary Clinton discounting polls. Yeah. But uh, and this early, yeah, the polls yeah. don't really mean uh-huh. a lot. But at the same time, it, well, it is showing that it's neck and neck. But if Clinton were up by fifteen, those polls would mean a lot. Or if Clinton were up by a consistent six, the polls would mean a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? The polls are what you make them, even if a chimp made it. Right. I don't know. You, I did, by the way, I wouldn't trust the polls either. But again, this is Donald Trump. This is the guy that wasn't supposed to take the GOP and, and run 17 candidates out the door. I did hear someone say one terrorist-linked incident in the United States between now and the election Oh boy, might push it to Trump. Well, let's not tell the terrorists well, that. I, I've heard it like three different places <laughs> this morning. Ixnay on the terrorist talk, eh? Are you Canadian? Yeah. Eh? Okay. Just because fear sells. Fear sells. You can push people in a direction based on the events of the day but i think with those two candidates just everyone's afraid apparently from the numbers because it's more about who they hate more Mm -hmm. than who they love more it's a real love hate type of election tragedy tragedy i've kind of voted that way my entire adult life you vote for who you don't like you vote against you vote against just because each candidate, you they, they spend so much time tearing each other down. Yeah. By the time you get to the end of it all, I'm tired of hearing about all the negativity about everyone else, that whoever's just made me the most angry, I vote against them. You know, maybe that's why Bernie Sanders, by the way, is voting against Deborah Wasserman Schultz. Yeah. He's actually voting for her opponent, who's more progressive. He's mad. He's like he said. If I were president, she would not be reappointed. Goner. There's not a lot of love there. No. Jake Tapper asked the question, and he's like, "No, she's gone. She's an appointee of Obama." Hmm. Hmm. <sighs> it's getting nasty. Which you know, for everybody in the GOP, they're all like, "Woo!" Yeah. Finally. Mix it up. It's been uh, quiet on that front yeah. for the Democrats as they've been. Well, I, I saw what Hillary Clinton said yesterday that uh, Bernie Sanders is not vetted properly. But really? Because he hasn't faced negative ads. Oh, is that no, how, you, that's no, how you vet? Well, she's, she's looking at it in the sense of, you know, we're talking about issues and stuff, but no one's really gotten into his background. No one's tried to find negative type things. You know, the... The anti uh, the anti candidate research that goes on, hmm. and uh, like she hasn't done any of it because she hasn't had to, right? right? So has he been vetted? 
Has, has people dug in and tried to find things and tried to – Well, like what dirt are you going to get on Bernie? I don't know, but that's what she – she tossed that out during an interview. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, why didn't you do it? But Let's, she's, you know, waste her time. They are being vetted. Sanders is being vetted by SNL, Saturday Night Live. I mean you got you to gotta be real about that. This is Sanders and Clinton talking about their secret. Listen, Hillary. Look, can I tell you a secret? Okay. You know how I constantly rail against the upper class? Yes. Well, sometimes when I go to sleep at night, I dream about being a fancy millionaire or billionaire. Really? Yeah. And in my dream, I wear a fancy hat. I say fancy things like, I'll have a tuna sandwich oh. on a croissant. <laughs> Can I tell you a secret? Sure. I've never told anyone this, but... You know the presidency? Yeah. I really, really want it. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. And you know what else? I don't really like people. <laughs> I only talk to them because I want to be the president so bad. Please don't tell. Don't tell. I think they know. <laughs> At one point, That's they're re- they're sort of reminiscing. And... Uh, and in the skit, Hillary is uh, is talking about, remember back when, when you were running? And he goes, no, 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 I still am. I still, no, no, remember back during the campaign? No, it's still happening. It's happening. And she goes, remember all those states that you got more votes, but I got all the delegates? Remember how funny that was? <laughs> uh, that was a great segment. Uh, would Bernie Sanders be her running mate? You open to be considered as Secretary Clinton's running mate? It's a little bit early to talk about that. Uh, right now, our function is to do everything I can, George, and you're going to see me running all over California. We're in New Mexico now. We're going to do everything that we can to get every vote and every delegate that we can and go into that convention with as much momentum as is possible. Didn't hear a no? <laughs> Didn't hear a no, I guess. That He's, it's, still, it's too early for that. Yeah, it's still too early. Well, he wants the people of California to have their voice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He doesn't think at this point you drop out and in California, it doesn't matter. And even though it may not matter. He's got a movement going on here. He's not, you know, I'm sure he's not trying to be her vice presidential candidate. No. And she certainly doesn't want that. Yeah, she doesn't want anything to do with him. She's got to move to the center or she's in trouble. Uh, or even a little bit more to the center. Um, also, what would Sanders people think about Hillary Clinton? Would they vote for Hillary, or is it just kind of an anti-Trump thing? We need a campaign, an election coming up, which does not have two candidates who are really very, very strongly disliked. I don't want to see the American people voting for the lesser of two evils. I want the American people to be voting for a vision of economic justice, of social justice, of environmental justice, of racial justice. That is the campaign we are running, and that's why we are getting the support we are. He's got a great point. You ought, you ought to vote for somebody you just love. And he's, say, he's proposing, you know, he's the only one that seemingly has a, you know, a vision, a, a, what do they call him? A, he's a movement. Yeah. I, I, I'm really impressed by the, you, you see these gatherings on TV. And people are are motivated. They're cheering on their guy. It's, they're they're really excited. Yeah, I've never been that way about politics. Never. Oh, I would never go to a rally. Would you? Yeah. No. But I mean, has anyone ever like? Have you felt 
like pride in voting yeah, for a politician I that have. way? Have you felt like that person, they have a vision, they're going to do something other than they're going to be a politician? No, no, because you know they're politicians. Hmm. You know, you, but you, you know one. these people that are that are volunteering, that are putting all these hours in, that are donating money, and mm-hmm. they they have they think this person is the answer to whatever is the, yeah. the problem. They're going to fix it, right? They, they, yeah, but see, that's like a that's like a cult. <laughs> well, right. the cult of the candidate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have I have my own life. <laughs> I just I, I I would find it interesting to be politically motivated that way yeah to be able to see someone and catch a vision and and think that you know this the system is you know people are, are joining into this process and they have a an idea that will fix right whatever the issue is but wouldn't that be great to have somebody that you just think oh that they're fan- that's great huh. they at least have they have a plan they have an idea they have they're going to make change happen something that you could actually believe in but i think maybe what's happened to politics is we just don't believe it we don't believe it it's not going to work. Of course it's not going to work. Come on. They, they, they say they're going to do something, but they have to get it through Congress too. How do you do that now? Who's, who's the person that can make a change and get it through Congress? I mean, that's a tough game. Anyway, we'll take a break. Come back with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. He'll be joining us, giving us the inside scoop of what uh, he's hearing around Washington, and we'll also, you know, just have to pick his brain about all things political. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, joining us on uh, the phone today is our good buddy, Joe Cannon. He's our Washington insider. We asked Joe to come on the show because he's he's in the know. He has friends that are in, you know, they're, they're behind the scenes. Now, he'll never admit any of this, except every once in a while. <laughs> he'll just throw one out there. Um, but Joe also has a really, I think, fantastic background to give us all this just a basic understanding of what's going on. He's been the chairman of the Utah Republican Party and also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served in the EPA under as an assistant administrator under Ronald Reagan, and was also the, um, the editor of the Deseret News, um, which is an Intermountain newspaper. So he understands kind of the media side of it as well. Joe Cannon, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. Where are you today? Anywhere fun? Where are you going? Well, I am in Junction City, Missouri. Ooh. And that's going to that's going to play into our discussion today a little bit. And Junction City is the city near Fort Riley, where I have a son-in-law who's a young officer. Oh wow! And and we're so we're visiting. They just had a, a little granddaughter, and uh, during last week we were in St. Louis, where we had a little grandson born. Oh my heavens! Look at you. You're you're a bit, you get to be a grandpa and you're all over the country now. What uh, what? Why are we going to talk about um, the military today? Ah, well, because uh, Junction City or Fort Riley, it's more better to say it's better to say Fort Riley is about well, let's see, thirty or forty miles west of Fort Riley, Kansas, is a town called Abilene, Kansas, 
And in Abilene, Kansas, they have the it's the birthplace, or the uh, memory place, I guess. It was a technique born there of uh, Dwight David Eisenhower. Mm. And we went and visited. We visited the Dwight David Eisenhower Museum and Library. Cool. And and just to put this in perspective, <laughs> I'm thinking of the candidates today. I'm thinking of the candidates in 1952. One of the candidates, the Democrat, Adlai Stevenson, his grandfather was vice president. He he was the governor of Illinois, a, a prominent guy. You know, uh, he was a, a progressive. He was from a Democrat from the left, but completely qualified to to, to run and to be president. Yeah, Dwight David Eisenhower, who won World War II, right. he was a five-star general. Then he became president of the United States, and he was an astonishing president. Uh, and I just think the contrast oh. of, how, of then and now. How, how do you? Oh, I mean, the quality of candidates, and I mean, how, how on earth do you all of a sudden you have to run against a five-star general? Are you kidding me? Well, at the beginning, it was fairly close. The, was it? Yeah, the uh, and and actually, what, one of the things that really put Eisenhower out of reach, although probably he was always likely to win, but uh, you know, the Korean War, he inherited the Korean War, and he said uh, in, during the campaign, he said, "I don't like this war. Uh, I'm going to go to Korea. If I'm elected, I'm going to go to Korea and figure out what the problem is and, and resolve it." And, you know, here's the five-star general who won World War II. Yeah. So imagine what everybody's thinking, you know, in Korea and right. China and Russia. And he goes over in November, right after he's elected, in November of 52. By July of 53, we're done with Korea. Wow. And except, for, except for the soldiers who, who lost their lives in the last part of the war in Korea, not one American soldier lost his life. Under, on Eisenhower's watch, it's and you know that plenty it's, of reasons why that would not necessarily have been the truth. Yeah, yeah. The case. Well, that's I guess the thing it, we were just talking about it a minute ago. It's a it's a far different election, isn't it? Where it's kind of deciding who you don't want to vote for is is well, the, is know, the way this is going to come down. It looks I, like I, I generally think that. The media tends to be biased against Republicans, and, and I think it is. But it is very interesting. The, the most recent, well, one of the most recent polls, uh, uh, Hillary Trump, uh, Clinton Trump polls by the Washington Post, that was the fact that that uh, Trump moved up eleven a, a, net, a net of eleven points, right, from a deficit of minus nine to a positive plus two. That wasn't even the lead on the story, though maybe it should have been. But but the real lead on the story is, who do Americans hate the most, or who do they hate the least? This is going to come down to, you know, 50, 57% of the people hate your guy, and 54% of the people hate my guy. So we might win. Yeah. Isn't that like – I mean exactly, and, and uh, Bernie Sanders is sitting there saying, again, this is the point why the number two candidate in the Democratic Party should be running because at least people will like me more. I mean it's such a strange election. Have you ever well, seen and, one, and Joe? By the way, in that, in that very poll, uh, whereas Trump beats – and obviously it's in the margin of error uh, – Hillary by two uh, – 
Sanders beats Trump by 15. Holy cow. In that same poll. Really? I mean, have you ever seen two less liked candidates? No, you know, there are a lot of people who have commented on that. But, but Peter Hart, who's a pretty famous uh, uh, Democrat pollster and a very, very smart guy, said there's, he said, this isn't unusual. This is unprecedented. There's never been an election like this where the clash of the titans turns on who is liked least by how many people. Mm. Pretty wow. Amazing. It is amazing. And um, Bernie Sanders hanging on keeps – Hanging on, and you know, the, the, Hillary probably can't be more frustrated by him. Except he's he's not, you know, he's just doing what he can do. He's he's he keeps winning, except he keeps not gaining a ton of delegates. Is 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 his? What is his goal politically? I, I don't understand why he even keeps pushing. If he's is he waiting for something to happen to her? Well. Um... It could be a lot of things. I, I, I have to concede I'm not in the mind of uh, inside of the brain of Bernie Sanders, <laughs> but he's got immense popularity. He's got a strong movement, um, and they love him, and he, he keeps winning these primaries, even though, just so it's clear, uh, Secretary Clinton has won more of the popular votes than Bernie Sanders right. has, So. He makes it sound like, oh, you know, I'm... He's right I'm, there. I'm, he's, he's trying to pull a Donald Trump. You know, the things are just rigged against him. But I'm not sure they're rigged against him, but for sure he is more popular and he's a more likable guy. And who knows what will happen? You know, when you get to the convention, that's some pretty interesting conventions in the past. A lot of people, a lot of people on the Democratic side are making noise. Look, we don't want this to be... Chicago 1968, where things really did come apart, and even though eventually the the uh, the establishment candidate Hubert Humphrey got the nod, uh, the party was completely fractured, and uh, that had a lot to do with uh, uh, Humphrey lo- the Democrats losing that year. Mm. So people are very nervous about that. But of course, if you're Bernie Sanders, you're thinking maybe that's not so bad for me. Yeah, uh, I go in. I've got a heck of a lot of delegates. Uh, I'm right on the issues for most of the delegates. Uh, I can I can go and you know he can get up and give a speech and say, look at this, look at this poll. I'm beating Donald Trump, their guy, by 15 points. Right. Now that's that's he's not that high in in all of the polls, but he's beating him in every poll that I've seen anyway. So you're saying that look, you want to win uh, or not? And so I, I you know. I don't know if any of that rational thinking is is going on. He might just be saying, look, I got a lot of money. Uh, people are liking my message. Why not just keep pushing my message? The least thing that's going to happen to him is he's going to have a, a, a very, very prominent role in uh, the development of the platform. Mm. Uh, and, and that means a lot to, to ideological candidates. Does, does it matter – I mean, it seems like the longer she has to contend with Bernie and his issues, the further left he pushes her and keeps her. Is it harder for her to get back and win the general election with so many independents? Well, it would be, but I, I think she's past that now. I mean, my sense of where her campaign is going is, yeah, uh, Sanders is a big pass. Sanders is a big pain for her, um, and that's true, but 
she's turned her attention to Trump. Mm. I mean, she's running it. She's running a general election campaign right now. As near as I can see. I mean, I, I don't hear every speech that she gives, and and she and her surrogates when they go into these primary states. Of course, they're they're uh, you know they're on message against Bernie. Yeah. But I think her main the main outlines of her of her her her. Uh, campaign are all toward November right now. What do you think of Bernie taking on Deborah Wasserman Schultz as publicly as he is? I mean, that's a big deal, too. Yeah. Well, he's angry. I mean, part part of what you can't underestimate is sometimes people do things just because, just because, you know, he's angry at her. There's no question that she's trying to manipulate things to the maximum extent possible to benefit one candidate over him. Uh, he feels that, uh, although she's not responsible, honestly, she's not responsible for the superdelegates, but she is the chair of the party, so she gets that rap. Um, I mean, she has done some pretty ridiculous things, you know, scheduling, you know, I'm making this up, you know, 20-minute debates on Friday night before a Monday holiday. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there, there are Every, plenty of things that if you're Bernie Sanders and you have a, a, a very popular support base and a lot of money and you're going, she, she's not playing fair. She's simply not playing fair. Yeah, she's keeping him in the shade. Just keep him out from under the sun so he can't grow much. Give Hillary all the growth. Sad for him. I guess that's why he's mad. But then does that do anything at the convention when – the you know really the second most powerful person in the election is totally voting against you. He's now supporting her, her primary challenger. Yeah, I think uh, well, obviously that it's a, a lot of grist for the anger mill uh, if you're Bernie Sanders. But also, the, it's, the fact is, it's going to be a Hillary convention. Yeah, they have to pivot. They have to use that election to not showcase a big nasty fight. It has to be uh, to showcase here's our candidate for November, and uh, if it's not that, it's not going to be good. Uh, I guess that's the key, huh? I mean, they for, can for Secretary Clinton, and so therefore it won't happen. Uh, yeah, things that things that often now. It may it may hurt more. It sounds like everybody's been wrong at every turn. This uh, election season, there's never been one like it. Yeah, this is crazy. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue our discussion with our Washington insider Joe Cannon. Remember, uh, he he also is is here fighting in his organization, uh, FuelFreedom.org. They're fighting to lower the cost of fuel in the United States. Go check out their website, FuelFreedom.org. Just, just a great service to help us all be able to afford the fuel we're using. Stick with us. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe is uh, past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, also was a Senate candidate, and uh, served uh, in one of the administrations under Ronald Reagan in the EPA administration. Um, anyway, great insider, great resource for us just to 
somebody that knows how the government works, how politics work, and he's here on the phone with us, uh, calling from Missouri, for heaven's sakes, to talk us through and walk us uh, through this week's political scene. Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks. Just just to clear up, I'm actually in Kansas. We were in Missouri, now we're in Kansas. Are you in Kansas? Are you near... Um, we're near we're Fort Riley. We're not too far from Abilene, Kansas. There you go. The Eisenhower Library. Well, if you if you could just go to Leewood, that's where my son is right now, on an really? L, on an LDS mission. Where where is that? What, what town it, city is that? Near? Leewood is it's near the border uh, Leewood, Kansas, but it's near the border near Independence, Missouri. I mean, it's like it's in that same mission there. No, it's in that same mission for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's in that same mission. Well, we stopped by. Uh, speaking of we. We didn't go by the Truman Museum this time, although we have in the past. But uh, we did stop by Independence. Did you? Uh, and uh, went to the LDS Church, the visitor center there in Independence, and had a nice visit oh. with the missionary. One of probably knows your son. I know. Come on! Oh, I should have let you know that. Then you could have taken yeah. him a gift from me. Hey, um, talk about uh, what's going on. So the polls are already showing now that that Trump and Clinton are basically head-to-head. According to the last two polls, um, they're right. They're just neck and neck, basically even. Um, but w- what does this all mean? I mean, it's it, it seems like the Democrats are no longer kind of the working class candidate. And now Donald Trump is kind of taking over a lot of the working class folk. What is happening with that? Well, just the usual caveat, two usual caveats. One is no one's ever been right so far this year <laughs> on just about anything. So don't even throw Including throw. me. And second, uh, again, a, a, a usual statement, a usual kind of uh, uh, truism is that polls don't matter at this early stage in the election. That's just simply not true this time for a lot of reasons. One is you've got two candidates who have near 100% name ID. So normally you get a chance, and we'll still see this, by the way, but we'll still see both sides just bashing away as negatively as possible. But there's not very much margin to work with there when everybody already has a view of of the respective candidates. Right. That's one problem. Uh, But these polls show a few interesting things. One of them is what you pointed out, is that the, the white male vote which includes that large category of people you were talking about, sort of working-class men, are overwhelmingly for Trump. And they clearly offset her advantage among women. So it's a very – that's an interesting uh, fact itself. The other thing is, is that, of course, you know, here's Trump insulting everyone possible except, I guess – white gun-toting men. Okay, he's, he's insulting everybody else. Right. Women, Hispanics, blacks, uh, all these important demographics. And yet, among Hispanics and among blacks, at least in some of these polls, he's doing better than Mitt Romney did. And that can be the most devastating thing. If, that's, if that holds up, if he's able to make inroads in the Hispanic voting community and in the African-American voting community... Again, you don't have to win. It's not like win-lose. Right. It's a question. Just say, hypothetically, he could get 15% of the black vote. There are many, many states that uh, that uh, Secretary Clinton could not win if that were the case. 
just say he gets 35% of the Hispanic vote uh, or maybe more. Uh, and each of those numbers are not impossible numbers, at least in the state of polling today. So when you when, – it's a battle of numbers though, isn't it, Joe? Because when women, for example, 70 percent of them don't like him, but he's still tied in the polls today, which number do I trust more? Well, well, you can trust both of those numbers because one of those numbers is a subset of the whole, and there's another big subset of that same whole called white male voters. Right. And so what, what, what it basically comes down to is, is that the gender gap favors Hillary. And if you just look at that one thing, she looks pretty good. But if you look at the gender gap she has on the white male side, she loses dramatically and it offsets hmm. uh, her gain pretty much on the – so the gender gap is a two-edged sword. And uh, one of the edges has is the women's side, and one of the edges is the men's side. Uh, now, women tend to vote more than men, and one of the things that none of these polls really vary at, well, one of them tries to, but so they both are basically looking at registered voters, and a couple of them are looking at likely voters, but it's pretty hard to know what a likely voter right. is. Right, today, in this, this, in this election. In this campaign with yeah. these particular candidates. That's so interesting. So, um, but you make a great point, right? That uh, he doesn't. There are certain percentages. I'm even. I, I'm even hearing through a lot of, or reading um, on Real Clear Politics a lot of articles about. There's still a certain percentage of Hispanics that are mad about illegals coming in and doing what they're doing when they had to do everything legally. I mean, I guess there's always going to be a contingency in every minority that is against Trump. Or any every majority that's against Trump. Well, I apologize that I didn't actually go through and look at the Hispanic vote in all of these polls, but just my recollection, from a quick glance, is that he does get in some of them, gets near thirty five percent. Wow, that that is a very very big um, fact. I mean, that, that's that. Uh, I don't think anyone would have expected that, given how literally crassly insulting he has been. <laughs> Would you, would you say the anti-Trump movement, uh, at least as far as kind of the Mitt Romneys, the Bill Crystals, that group, is it done? Is it over? Is it dead? Well, hashtag never Trump is uh, reeling right now. I mean, one of the things he did, so he's, a, he's you know, he's a smart guy in some ways. Or he's talking to somebody, but he's, he's he is pivoting. Uh, he, he understands he's got to get the conservative vote. If he doesn't get that, there's no scenario in which he wins. So what does he do? He lists a bunch of potential Supreme Court nominees. By the way, he doesn't say, I'm going to appoint one of these people. Just his list. He says, I'm, here's a list of people that look good to me. And, uh, and so very conservative, right? More conservative than moderate judges. Every – no, it's, it's not even conservative-moderate. Every one of those is is a Federalist Society vetted candidate. Wow. So if you if you're on the Republican side and if you believe that the most important single most important issue about this election is uh who who you're gonna have on the Supreme Court and lots of I would say that is the central concern of most conservatives. Uh and Trump comes out and says, Oh, okay, here's who I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose someone a lot like this. You're going to say, I don't care how repugnant Trump is on any on any other issue. 
So there were a number of articles hmm. after he made he he put that list out, basically announcing the death of the at, at hashtag Never Trump. Yeah. However, Bill Crystal came out with a, uh, who's one of the Never Trump. Uh, come out and said we're not dead yet, but I, I happen to know Bill pretty well, and I'm not sure <laughs> how his argument works that they're <laughs> not dead. I mean, Trump's won; he's got the nomination. Yeah, everybody's falling in line, and he's now he, tied. He announces, yeah, he announces that I'm going to appoint people that you at you know never Trump like to the to the Supreme Court. I, I don't see where the where the never Trump folks go. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so I guess it's now five months of Trump getting, you know, just slowly picking off different groups to get them behind him. Well, it's not even five months. I mean, he's been it's it's amazing how quickly everyone's fallen in line. So not everybody has been even even uh, uh, speaker, the speaker of the House has said. He hasn't come out and said, I'm supporting Trump, but he's made all kinds of noises about how we have to be unified. And, you know, yeah. uh, now maybe maybe somebody noted early today, actually, that the 2020 primary has already begun. I know. And Are you kidding? That's, oh, man. But again, like th- this is changing politics, right? This is this is going. I mean, if, if, if Trump happened to win politics is never going to be the same. It won't go back to what it used to be, will it? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, so much of the explanation of this set this season revolves around the fact that Donald Trump is a an astonishing personality. Mm-hmm. He's a famous personality. He is wanton in his language and in his approach. And he's tapping into you. You've got kind of this alchemy of of anger, hatred, bitterness, and and a famous guy who shares your anger and your passion. And that you know that doesn't happen very often. You know, you, know, you might argue that the last time that happened was Andrew Jackson. Right. That was a long time ago. Yeah. So. I, I, I'd be reluctant. I mean, you know, you can read the analysis of the election of 1964, which I have complete recollection of. You know, everyone thought, well, that's the end. With the Republicans finally nominated a genuine ideological conservative, and it got destroyed. Uh, and four years later, we had a Republican president who was not necessarily an ideological conservative, but pretended to be one. And then not too long after that, you had Ronald Reagan. Right. So uh, there are many graveyards of of, uh, predictions about what's going to be the future of of, uh, politics in America. But we do seem, I will just say, I'm on the declinist end of things. So we do seem to be deteriorating. I mean, when I drive through Truman's hometown and and, uh, Ike's hometown and you think of what they did and... Mm who they were and the, the, the world situation we're in. A lot of your listeners have no comprehension of what the Cold War was like. Right. It could have gone bad, really, really bad, a lot of times in a lot of different ways. And you had steady hand at the helm, uh, and we got through all that. Yeah. 
Joe, I appreciate your history that you bring, too. I mean, the rest of us, we're just trying to understand today, yet you put it into place with the rest of time. I mean, not all time, of course, because you're not that old. Joe Cannon, (laughs) we appreciate you, buddy. Have fun with your family uh, in Kansas and uh, take care of those new grandkids. Okay, thanks a lot, Matt. You bet. Joe Cannon, again, uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. He's our Washington insider giving us the insight we need to uh, to still see the perspective that's going on, right? From Eisenhower to Truman to Trump? Crazy! We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, politics. Isn't it crazy? It's a crazy time. And yet, when you think about it, it's uh, it's it's anticipated, right? Think of how much tension there has been in this country for the past 20 years. Think of how negative people were about Hillary Clinton's you know, desire to be president, even... 15 years ago. So we knew that wasn't going to go easily, didn't we? Well, apparently some thought it might. And then all of a sudden, Donald Trump slips in, takes out 16 or 17 GOP members. Bam, bam. People were thinking, well, yeah, but he's he's out of control. This is never going to fly. Guess what? It's flying, which again means we probably need to listen to the heart of the people. People are mad. People have had it. They're tired. The signs are, and I always talk about three signs that people are starved, right? They're just not having their basic needs met. And those three signs are negative emotion going up, understanding dropping, and trust dropping. Anytime I see emotion, negative emotion going up, misunderstanding and mistrust, I know that we have starved issues. And that is what you see in the electorate. More and more negative emotion, more and more mistrust, more and more misunderstanding. And all you have to do probably to win that is listen to what the people are saying. The And it wouldn't matter which – Administration. It wouldn't matter if it were the politicians in the White House or the politicians in the Capitol building. It doesn't matter because in the end, people are mad because they're not being heard. They're not having their issues being met. They're, the middle class is suffering and they're tired of hearing it. So then all of a sudden, people that would never have been acceptable five years ago, ten years ago, are totally acceptable. It's what fosters the force of change, right? It's going to happen. You don't listen to me, then I will become unpredictable for you. And if I become unpredictable for you, you're out. You're out. So to all candidates, I'd start listening. I'd start listening because if you don't, you're going to pay the price. There needs to be much more accountability in what is actually being said, what's being done. 
instead of just the ability to pay for you know the information to be pushed even if it's not accurate. So I think it, it makes sense what's happening in D.C. And it, you know what? It should happen just as much locally as well. So let's get involved. Let's get your voices heard, but let's do it in a way that we don't have to hurt other people to do it. But um, start listening to one another. That's the uh, little coach's corner for you from the Dr. Matt Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. We'll be talking about uh, the benefits of bromance. You always hear about bromances, you know, two movie star buddies that are best friends that hang out with each other. Is there a benefit to just for a guy to have a best buddy that he just can't get enough of? Anyway, we'll find out. Amy Morin will be joining us. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. None of us were given a handbook. At birth. So instead, we got to figure it out on our own. This show brings you the information, the tools, the insights you need, and some you don't need. Hello, to live a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program. Today, we're going to be talking about bromance. Is it all it's cracked up to be? You may not even know what a bromance is. Bromance would be when a man has a best friend, a bestie. And now it's kind of taken on. I think it came from like these uh, these shows like The Bachelor, where a bunch of guys living in a house actually liked being with each other more than even going out with the Bachelorette. They called them. It was a bromance. And then other stars. I mean, the Brat Pack way back in the day, they were having a bromance. Five or six stars. They're having fun in love with each other. Yeah, but guys, you know. Strictly platonic, but it, now the research is showing that it it's good for guys to have a guy friend. Makes you healthier, happier, who's makes doing, you more generous. Who's, who's doing this research? Less stressed, pain relief. I don't know. A group of women mm. out of Wellesley College. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it was a well, real hmm, study. Okay. <laughs> it, it really was a study um, uh, which appeared in Neuropsychopharmacology. Highlights the benefits of male friendship. Researchers from the University of Cal Berkeley are the ones that perform the study. But we'll be talking um, about this study with uh, Amy Morin, who who wrote about it as well. And we're gonna we're just gonna learn. We're gonna learn about the importance of a guy having a friend, which we've been trying to get Ben a friend. Somebody. Then you talk you, to them. You guys have been sabotaging. Pardon? My chances of getting friends. Well, why, why would you say that? That's a little harsh. I mean, sabotage would mean intentional. It hasn't been intentional? No, it's been fairly inadvertent. We just haven't paid attention. Just in passing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That almost worries me more. Yeah, it's more callous. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll be getting into that. We um, also, you know, we've got a lot of headlines to touch on as well. So first, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the country? Thanks, Matt. A U.S. military drone strike in Pakistan killed Mullah Akhtar Muhammad Mansour. You know who that is? 
No. No? Uh, just kind of one of those names. President Obama confirmed Monday Mansour was the leader of the Afghan Taliban, and his death is a, quote, important milestone, Obama speaking in Vietnam today. The U.S. strike removed the leader from an organization that has continued to plot against and unleash attacks on the American, on America and coalition forces. Wow. So they took a leader off the board. Good. So there you go. Doing, Bernie Sanders supporters have filed a federal lawsuit seeking to extend voter registration in California until the day before the state's June 7th presidential primary. The Democratic primary has opened its primary to voters with no party preference, but there is mass confusion about the rules. Uh, the lawsuit says uh, voters don't understand the rules which are set by the party and differ from those in other elections. That seems to be a theme yeah. across the country. No one knows the rules. It's, it's confusing. Like, and, they're, and they're biased. That's what you hear. President Obama has scolded lawmakers for dragging their feet on Zika prevention funding, uh, a bill that they're trying to get through the House and the Senate, claiming they should not be going off on recess before this is done. Just an update. Memorial Day. Reese, yeah, that's so this weekend. Gonna, yeah, they got to get back home. To the extent that we're not handling this thing in the front end, we're going to have bigger problems on the back end, Obama said. Health officials say the mosquito-borne virus declared a public health emergency in February poses a larger threat to the U.S. than initially thought. So far, the House has only provided about half of the $1.1 billion approved by the Senate for the Zika prevention, and that's still a far cry from the $1.9 billion that the White House has proposed. Hmm. The House is trying to get the money from the money proposed to help fight Ebola. Yeah. And put that towards we Zika. We don't need Ebola money anymore. Yeah. Move it over to They're Zika. Like, Ebola's cured. We're just going to move it yeah. over. So Crazy. And uh, the legal team for New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady said it will file an appeal in U.S. Second uh, Circuit Court today requesting a stay of his suspension over the 2015 Deflategate controversy. The NFL Players Association said this is a case that not only affects Tom Brady but affects every player. In late April, a federal appeals court ruled that the quarterback must serve a four-game suspension over the uh, incident in which Brady's playoff game footballs were suspiciously underinflated in 2015. Really? So that that's going to end up in the Supreme Court. Yeah, and then nothing will be decided because it'll. Yeah. Unless just, unless there's some real fans and they, they actually you know take just it seriously. Pay your fine. Let's get going. Play and ball. This is uh, this is late breaking news. Yes. The Jurassic Park image of a Trionosaurus Rex uh-huh. bearing a mouthful of ferocious teeth yeah. may be getting a facelift. What? New research suggests that theropods, those beast-footed terrestrial carnivores, so yes. the T-Rex, had lips and gums that covered their teeth, <laughs> challenging toothy ideas of what they looked like. Really? So maybe they, yeah, they had puffier lips. All the pictures you see of these of, of a T Rex, their teeth are out and they're, yeah. they're they're vicious and all this. They're saying they they, they still have, have the little arms. It's uh, the researcher. Yes, the researcher says in popular culture we imagine dinosaurs as more ferocious looking, but that's not the case. And they did a bunch of studies on crocodiles and other stuff. Wow. It says with the research, it's ongoing. But the uh, the researcher has a theory for why we insist on toothy grins for T Rexes. He says it's to match their impressive size. Really? That's why we think they, their teeth hang out instead of are covered. So. Maybe they're just not hanging out. They just always are smiling. Maybe they're a very happy carnivore. Right. That's I mean, exactly there could have been a happy carnivore. Maybe one. Maybe two. The arms are what freak me out. The little. <laughs> it makes no sense. For those that couldn't see it, 
Terry just flapped his arms in the air. Mainly because I kind of have short arms. It turns it into a giant chicken for me, the tiny arms. Yeah. That's oh, wow. a good point. Yeah. That's a great point. Wings, basically. Yeah. Sad. Sad. To be such a dangerously strong animal or dinosaur and then have be weakened by such tiny little arms. Hmm. I know where I'd go in the fight. Go for the arms. Go for the arms. <laughs> Hit him in the gut. He can't defend himself. Oh, that's sad. Uh, by the way, it's escargot day. You ever had escargot? I have. Did you enjoy it? Not a bit. Me either. You got to try it. That's the salty glob of stuff. That's what cruises are for. And then you're like, I had it in, what was it, third grade? No, yeah. Oh, so you didn't actually have it at a restaurant? You no, but backyard? Some, no, no. It was uh, uh, one of the kids of my, we did a report on. France. We studied the the country of France, oh, so you had to, and someone had to. You have to do an oral presentation, and someone brought in escargot. So as as little kids in elementary school, we're all like snails, and that is sick. So we all down some snails. It was you know salty. Yeah, I don't get it. Nasty, whatever. But I, I don't. I don't see the benefit of it. Yeah. Not a man. No, this isn't really accurate. It's about accurate. Is it? No, no. That, mm. that was you sucking the snail out that of the shell. That has a lot of butter, a lot of I garlic guess, I in guess that you're butter. Right. I guess you're right. This is really nasty. I wish Ben would shut his mouth. <laughs> we always have to listen to this. It just <laughs> makes so me sick. Hey, um, you got to watch this video. We're going to post a video on our um, on our Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show, of a woman playing a virtual reality zombie. She's so this is where they put these goggles on, and um, she watches. She play a video game, but she this woman's being attacked by zombies, and she's trying to kill the zombies. It's just absolutely terrifying to watch this lady. She freaks out, and then you think, well, yeah, some people maybe are not going to be able to do VR. They can't do it. Yeah. It'll be just too much. There's too it, much going on. And she she's reacting as if she's getting hit by things. Yeah. And she's just standing in a room. She just collapses. She's alone in a room. And they're playing. You can see what's happening on the screen. And she eventually just collapses in a heap because the, the zombies ended up getting to her. But was having a panic attack. It's, it's scary. And there's a point where you think, what are all of the psychological things that are going to happen to people? The minute VR takes off. Some of the uh, people that experience this and, and they're the different uh, programs they use, uh, you walk up to an edge of a building or a cliff. Yeah. And then it's that, can you step off? Just step this off. This is all fake. This is all just – Step off. It's all video game. It's all you know this virtual reality. Can you step off? And people cannot do it. Uh-huh. Their mind just locks up. They're like, I cannot put myself in peril this way. And- other, other people just walk up and no big deal. But you can see, and we've, we've talked about this on the show, like VR and other types of reality programs can be used in therapy to help with post-traumatic stress disorder. You can actually see why because this it seems so real. Um, but it also seems like we're going to traumatize a lot of <laughs> highly, highly sensitive people. We'll post that on the at Dr. Matt show Twitter feed. But watch out. I mean, you're, people are out there buying these uh, cardboard – what do they call them? Cardboard? Well, there's Google Cardboard. There's uh, – Microsoft has one, I believe, called the Oculus Rift. There's all these different products coming out. They're for sale. They're on the market now. And I don't know if we know yeah. fully the extent of what this may do to some people. Uh, 
I don't know. Let, but, I mean, just, same thing happened with video games when yeah. people would all of a sudden, it would trigger a seizure. Right, exactly. You know, so they have all these warning labels that go out, but it's just a certain segment of the population may have some difficulty. Did you get that note from Ben saying that the show triggers seizures? No, but not surprised. Well, I'm surrounded by like six screens, I think. That. Ben also said he's never had a seizure, but mm-hmm. he's afraid it might trigger one. Yeah. Well, I mean, the warning should be there yeah. just to be on the safe side. I, I like a couple of them posted in the studio if that's okay. <laughs> That's good. Just so you know, I'm an EMT, and if you go down with a seizure, I know exactly what to do. But would you do it? No. <laughs> but I'd call. I would call somebody to do it. I'd teach. I'd teach Terry what to do. He's an EMT. I'm an EMT. I'll take. Care. He's been trained. Did you see what moved through the streets of Los Angeles yesterday? No. A few years ago, they moved the shuttle Endeavor. Oh yeah, the space shuttle, right? Right. And then all the. Preparations. They did it on a Sunday because then traffic's light. And they, and they, need, they needed a Toyota truck. Yeah, yeah. To pull they it. had a Tundra. That was the commercial you saw, <laughs> right? right? Well, um, this time they're moving the external tank, the big orange tank yeah. that's strapped to oh, the. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so it's called the ET94. That's the name of the. Phone home. Yeah. So, like the shuttle Endeavor before, the ET94 drew thousands of spectators, many grasping for words to describe. As during a day long ride, 16 miles through the streets of Los Angeles to Inglewood. As they uh, take it to the California Science uh, Center in Exposition Park, the 15 story tank. Wow. Right? Huge. Holy cow. Did you see it on the overpass? Yeah. That is crazy. So, uh, <laughs> the journey began la- last month when it left NASA yeah. in New Orleans, their facilities there. It was welded to an ocean barge. And pulled by a tugboat for 4,000 nautical miles. It rode out a storm in the Cayman Islands, traversed the Panama Canal, rescued four people off the coast of Baja, California, because their fishing boat sank. So they just picked them up as they floated along. Wow. And uh, it all arrived uh, Saturday and uh, sailed through its route through Marina del Rey to the California Science Theater. Um, It said ET-94, which never flew into space is the last remaining flight-ready fuel tank in existence. The tanks which carried liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen were designed to detach when they were about 70 miles above the Earth's surface and then burn up in the atmosphere. Each launch required a new tank. That is huge. Right, so the tank docked in Marina del Rey, crossed the 405 freeway, and most importantly sailed through L.A. to its destination ahead of schedule. It's a 42-wheel transportation device was built to carry this thing. Holy cow. It started the drive in a parking lot near the Fisherman's Village in Marina del Rey at about noon or midnight, and uh, a New Orleans jazz band played because that's where it came from. So, of sure. course, you have to have sure. a band. Yeah. Uh, near full moon, all this stuff. Well, as it moves across the, the city, they have to, like, raise the power lines, Maybe detach things, take oh things apart. Heavens. So every single intersection had to be taken apart. So you try to find the the least cumbersome route. But even though you, you do that, you still have to take apart a bunch of infrastructure to get it there. Um, Incredible. Yeah. So it's kind of – there's a lot of video online you can watch of them trying to do this a little bit. And there was an – you said there was a going through – it was over – did it go over an overpass? Yeah. It went over an overpass. It's It's really – it's huge. And again, it's, it's never a, been used. It's a 66,000-pound so. tank. Seems like a waste. And it was pulled at a brisk walking speed by a red truck bearing a sign on it that said XT, or ETXing. ET. Yeah. Fun. And then it says it was surrounded by real astronauts walking with 
children wearing astronaut costumes. Oh, that's cool. So made it into a huge parade. Yeah, so they're turning it into a great celebration of our old Discovery shuttle system. So it is is interesting because they they, they make it – they inconvenience a good chunk of Los Angeles as they move this, right? But you know what? But then you turn it into a parade. You put kids in and it's a big PR thing. Everyone thinks it's it's happy. Yeah, it's not. And the people in L.A. aren't even mad because (laughs) it's it's like – it's Sunday. Nobody cares. And it's traffic. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen with traffic in L.A.? That it stops. A big orange <laughs> missile. Anyway, interesting. Interesting stuff. Does your husband have a best friend? Does your brother have a best friend? Does anybody – do these guys have friends anymore? We're here. We're going to be talking about bromances. Ben's listening in. We're going to figure out the benefits of a man having a great best friend. And we also have to kind of dispel the bromance title. That's what they call it. But that might be one of the reasons why a lot of men don't have friends. If you're going to tease him with the word bromance, come on. Anyway, we will be talking with Amy Morin in just a few moments about uh, the importance and the research around men and friends. Stick with us, folks, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, whether it's a movie starring Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson or it's Joey and Chandler from Friends, Hollywood tends to portray male friendships in a comedic light. But a good bromance makes for more than just bachelor parties and fist bumps. Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, joins us this morning to talk a little bit about what a bromance is and how it can be beneficial for men in their relationships. Good morning, Amy. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. We loved uh, this article you wrote in Psychology Today about uh, the surprising benefits of bromance. Now, first of all, we we there's a lot of joking about you know male friendships, but but apparently the research is showing they're valuable. They're they're important. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we look at them and you know sort of shared with a wink of like, oh, two guys you know having a beer chugging contest while right. they're watching, you know, an NFL game or something like that. But yeah, studies show that it has tremendous benefits and that we should be giving more respect to men who have close male friendships. Why do you think we we laugh it off as much? I mean, I, I've even, I, I've talked about it on the show that even the word bromance kind of laughs it off. And yet we also want men healthier. So what, what is it about, why would we need to laugh off male friendships? It's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it, that we tend to do that. We give women the respect of you can have a BFF or a girlfriend go shopping for the day or you talk on the phone every day and and nobody thinks twice about it. But, yeah, something about our culture when it comes to men, I don't know why we tend to think that they shouldn't have other male friendships. I think it just speaks volumes about our view of masculinity that somehow a strong man should, you know, be more like the lone wolf rather than somebody who has lots of close friends and that we tend to think men don't talk about their feelings and you shouldn't have somebody that you have that close relationship to and you're stressed out that you could call them on the phone, but instead it's somebody maybe that you go play golf with or you you know help out somebody with a home improvement project that you're not actually close friends. Yeah, it's and maybe we're not you know in the middle of our home improvement project together. We're not opening up. We're not right. you know crying or but 
Talk about the benefits because that's what really surprised me about your article. I mean the the research shows they serve a lot of – they have a purpose and they serve a lot of different angles of health. Yeah. You know, for one, they found that um, having a a really close friendship, it increases oxytocin in the brain. And that's usually the hormone that we think of when you're in love, when you're in a relationship. But it actually gets released too when you have a really close – bond with somebody, even if it's a a same-sex platonic relationship. And they found that, for one, it increases generosity. When people have more oxytocin in the brain, they become more kind and generous. So who wouldn't want the man in their life to be kind and generous? Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Ladies, listen up. And that it also, you know, increases, uh, improves pain tolerance, that people can their threshold for pain actually goes up when they have more oxytocin in their brain, and they tend to have decreased pain overall. So somebody that tends to have a lot of aches and pains, close friendship can help that. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I mean, like, it's it's a, it, it's a pain reliever and a stress reliever and a generosity increaser. It's crazy. And, you know, the, the list could go on and on. I only included a few in my article, but there's lots of stuff from it. You know, increases trust, it decreases fear, lots of stuff. And we think, you know, we talk about modern medicine and all the drugs that get prescribed to take care of a lot of ailments where people end up getting a lot of different treatments. But oxytocin could actually cure a lot of those things. And really, to, to get those benefits, you just need a close bond with people in your life. <laughs> does, does it matter who the bond is with? I mean, it seems like uh, some of our oxytocin needs are usually met more with our spouse, with our kids. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good way to do to do that. But you can also get the same benefits from having close friends, which mm. I think is amazing. So whether it is that you spend time with your spouse, but they also found that it in- improves your relationships with anybody in your inner circle. So if a man has a really close friend who's a coworker or somebody else in his life, it will actually increase his bond with his children or increases his bond with his spouse. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I think that's fantastic. And yet it's oxytocin, kind of the age-old bonding chemical that that we get uh, when we are intimate with our partner. We get it when – women get it when um, feeding their baby, breastfeeding, when in a great bonded conversation even. But men, it's always kind of been brushed off as we only get it having sex. Right, right, yeah. But apparently not. Apparently we right. get it just being buddies. Isn't Right. That, it's much easier than you think. Or we talk about it when women are in labor. You know, you don't necessarily have to um, just get it during those certain times in your life. You can produce it on your own if you say, hey, I'm going to figure out how I can have some close people in my life and spend time with them. That, that naturally increases the oxytocin in your brain. That is great. Is it um, – when you think about it as a counselor, how many times now you can go prescribe it and how many relationships would that improve if you could just get the husband to take on a friend? <laughs> right. Sometimes I think the solutions are much simpler than we think. And I, I talk to so many couples and wives will often you know, complain that their husband's spending too much time with his buddies. But when you look at the benefits of it, you think – well, shouldn't we be encouraging this even more? Right. Isn't he nicer? Isn't he more caring when he comes home? Isn't he more loving? Well, yeah, but he's never home. <laughs> right. 
which can be the issue. But to look at, you know, how do you spend quality time with somebody and how do you make sure that you make the best of it? And if he's out doing things with his buddies and he comes home, you might have more quality time rather than quantity. Yeah, in the study, um, in another study you cited, they they did a little um, – they sprayed nasal spray that had oxytocin in it. And these dads, when they had the oxytocin on board, were better dads. They played with their babies more. They were more attentive. I mean, yeah. this is like if women could just get their hands on that spray, right. forget well, the know, friend. Know. Some doctors prescribe a nasal spray. I think you can buy it over-the-counter, too. I can't speak to whether the <laughs> yeah. over-the-counter stuff works, but... I think again that just speaks volumes to our desire to figure out how do you how do you re- increase those feel good hormones so that you can enjoy those kinds of benefits because yeah I hear from moms all the time who will say you know he hardly is ever around or he's not paying attention to the kids but what if that's all it took to really increase that bond between the dad and his baby hmm. talk about I guess the study involved studying rats that live together. It seems like yeah. rats that live together and men having bromances wouldn't go hand in hand. But maybe talk to us a little bit about the study. Yeah, it seems like it's a little bit of a stretch, which, you know, I, I agree humans and, and rats are two separate beings. But what they found with with rats was when they housed them all together, they were all competing for food and water and they were aggressive towards each other until they had a little bit of stress. When the researchers introduce some stress into their environment, the rats start to huddle together. When they huddle together, it increases the oxytocin in their brain, and then they start to cooperate. And I think normally we'd expect the opposite results. If you were to add some stress to an environment, we might think that competition gets worse. Yeah. But they found that when they added some stress, when they huddled together, they formed this sort of rat bromance, and all of a sudden they're being kinder to each other. And I think if we were to extrapolate that to humans, sometimes we see that, you know, that um, we're in competition with each other. And when we get stressed out, sometimes we think that competition gets worse. But when you look at something like a natural disaster, the community all comes together sometimes to help out and say, how can we help one another? Because they're put underneath stress and they know we're all in this together. And I think that when the researchers looked at this, they said, you know, if we could just figure out how does this extrapolate to, to humans that... If, as long as they have some oxytocin in their brain and close relationships, that they become more cooperative rather than competitive. Yeah. Wow. You, um, you, it's interesting because you can see that. And I, I just work with a lot of couples, and I see that a lot of what you were saying a minute ago about pushing, we, we want our partner, to our, our husband, to go out maybe be more social. But uh, th- there is that weird thing where there might be an inherent competition they might in immediately not hit it off with someone else. Uh, I mean, also on board is the chemical testosterone, right? So men have more testosterone and an injection of oxytocin softens them, I guess. But they also still are probably more competitive naturally just because of other chemicals in their body. Right, absolutely. And so then you have to look at, you know, how do you how do you help men instead of competing? How do you help them cooperate so that they're not in that contest all the time to be the alpha male or to, you know, show off who's got the biggest muscles or who's got the, makes the most money or drives the best car or whatever it might be, but to say, how do you, how do you help people cooperate in life, which I think is a dilemma, you know, outside of this study too, but how do you, how do you make people stop, you know, looking around and resenting other people's success? How do you say, how do we all work together all the time, whether we're under stress or just 
everyday life? How do you work together so that you're not competing with everybody? Oh, yeah. And two, it seems like um, a lot of guys that I work with, they their wives, they don't have the same kind of interest. So a guy may want to burn off some of that energy climbing a mountain on his mountain bike um, but the wife uh, does she'll she'll do it once in a while, but doesn't want to. And so there's some of that competition that might even bond some of these men because they can all go have a competition. They can go play ball. They can go do something that gets the energy out and apparently the oxytocin in, and um, and they they actually bond in the competition. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because that's the thing I hear all the time, too, from women. Like, oh, I don't like kayaking, but I'll do it. I'll do they it. They enjoy it. And right. then you say, well, you know, well, what's the benefit of doing it anyway? And which sometimes there can be. But on the other hand, then to say, well, you know, if this is something that your spouse enjoys, how can you encourage him to have these hobbies and, and to go out and do those things with his friends and be okay with it so that you can enjoy those benefits? Yeah, huge. Let's take a break. Uh, again, we're speaking with Amy Moore, and she has um, she is an, uh, an author and writes on psychology today, um, is also a counselor, a, th- a therapist, and is a uh, college of psychology instructor, also the author of 13 best-selling books that uh, – or sorry, the book 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, a, a wonderful uh, contributor and guest. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion with Amy Moore and Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. And right now it's in oxytocin and uh, the bromance, the good part, the good relationship between two guys. Stick with us. the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have a husband that uh, has just been sitting out all friendships? Not not having a buddy that he can go out and do stuff with that, um, according to the latest research, there's a benefit when guys can be friends and uh, there's an actually uh, a very powerful impact on their health when it comes to oxytocin, which is a chemical that uh, is kind of the bonding chemical out there that we all have or have the potential to get in our relationships with people. And uh, Amy Morin is joining us. She is has a website, Amy Morin, M-O-R-I-N-L-C-S-W.com. Amy Morin, L-C-S-W.com. She's an author uh, and a writer for Psychology Today, wrote a wonderful article called The Surprising Benefits of Bromance. Male bonding can make guys healthier, happier, and better dads as well. And she's uh, joining us today to talk about that article. Amy, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So if guys need relationships, need a a good buddy, um, I mean, and it helps them, what what can we do um, if, if, if your husband, let's say, isn't prone to just get out there and make friends and, and naturally get into the finding a best friend, what are some things that, that might you know make the road a little easier for them to get a friend? Yeah, obviously after you you know graduate from high school, you're out of college, it's harder to, to go out and meet people in your community. And if you, depending on where you work or who you, what groups and organizations you're involved in, you may hit it off with somebody, but you might not. And I think for 
women to encourage men to get involved in something that they're interested in, whether they join some sort of a community organization or a civic group or or at their church, but to reach out and talk to people and to just figure out who's out there and what do you have in common with. And I think to find find the things that men naturally like to do. So if you are married to somebody who enjoys rock climbing, we'll figure out if there's a rock climbing group. And we know that that's how men often bond is through activities. And so if there's an activity that he enjoys doing by going out and doing those things, he'll naturally meet some people that he probably has some things in common with. Totally. And like I, I was just sitting there thinking of my – you use the word natural. It, it it can't be something they don't naturally like or want to do because guys bond in a weird way it seems like. Just doing something, the activity seems more bonding than maybe the conversation per se. Yeah, and I think you know women bond differently. They can just talk and, and – talk about anything and often feel like they've bonded and women have this notion of well i have this girlfriend so we're all going to go out to dinner and you're going to become friends with her husband the (laughs) husbands may have nothing in common and the expectation that they're somehow going to be friends and bond by eating dinner together once a month is is not particularly helpful i think that that really sets them up for failure because they're thinking well you know i don't really have much in common with this person and he's not somebody i would call on a on a weekday and say, do you want to go golfing or something like that? And so I think for women to not put that pressure on men that you have to be best friends with our, our friends' spouses. Yeah, except like if they if they love cycling, then great. Go get in a group of cycling cyclists and, and, and see. See if you can find someone there um, or if they like whatever, basketball or whatever. Um, what else? What are some other ways that make it uh, a little easier for men to – I guess to want to do this. I mean, I, I always look at it like my my wife's my friend. Everyone at work I'm with eight hours a day are my friends. That's kind of what I need. And then um, I get home and my kids I want to spend time with. So they become my friends. I almost don't feel like I need a friend. Well, I think plenty of people feel like that, right? You get caught up in a daily grind. And, and obviously as an adult with other responsibilities, you have less time. And I think that that's okay, but to have somebody that you can call if you were stressed out or somebody that you can spend time with outside of your family, because I think we can sometimes almost lose our identity of who we are and what we like to do. And I'll work with women who will say, well, my husband's not home sometimes. So when I get home from work, I had this one lady who her husband got out a couple hours earlier than she did. And if she came home and he wasn't there yet... She would call him up yelling and screaming and ranting and raving about why he needed to get home right away. And well, I would talk to her about, well, you know, do you think that motivates him to come home? Does he want to come home to you when you're you know, raving about how he needs to be home all the time? Yeah. And to really change that mindset, to know that it's okay and it's a good role model for your kids to have a healthy friendship. So to give yourself permission to say, I'm going to go out of the house and have and meet up with a friend tonight so I won't be home for dinner. Doing that once in a while is completely healthy, and and for women to be able to encourage that and say that that's okay, too. Yeah, and I I, I think that's such a great way to look at it, too, because um, it could very well just be a, a skill that they need to acquire or accumulate. There, are, I know people that are a little more introverted. They maybe are a little uh, more shy, and they just – they don't ever want to seem like they need someone, right? And, right. and so all of a sudden going out 
especially if you're getting pressure from your spouse, like, did you make meet any friends today? <laughs> it's just going to create a, really a lot of pressure on the guy. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and again, the awkward, like, forced trying to make friends on purpose. Um, what did you do at lunch? What, did you talk to anybody at the lunchroom today? No, I didn't, honey. <laughs> it isn't going to be particularly helpful, but to know that when you can build those natural relationships in areas of your life is when it just, you know, it doesn't feel so forced or painful. Yeah. It's such an interesting um, world because we do um, – it seems like we don't necessarily always raise our kids, especially our male children, to get into their emotions, to get into their feelings. And now we're almost – now the science is proving it, it's valuable. I think it's always been proving that. Um, and yet we want to try to turn something that we didn't necessarily teach them when they were young. Maybe this is something that might be more valuable to teach our kids to change the future generations. Oh, I think absolutely. To make it clear to kids that, you know, your your school buddies that you're hanging out with on, on the weekends, sometimes too, or that you have a play date with once in a while, that that's really valuable. You can learn so many skills, but also just really good for your body, for your mind to, yeah. to have those close friends. Does When you look at this as a counselor, um, does it, I guess too, this is something that, because the oxytocin exists in the male-female relationship as well. Maybe having a strong friendship with your spouse would enable you to gain the skills and the tools to take it elsewhere. I mean, eventually we're going to lose our – I'm going to maybe – I doubt it, but possibly could outlive my wife. And if I do, then what, right? Or if I lose my spouse, then what? Then I have nobody when my kids are out of the house. I mean, this is a big deal down the road too. Oh, absolutely. And I I was widowed when I was 26. Oh, that's right. I remember your story, right? Yeah. And so to be able to say, how do you you then say, you know, I have this special bond with my spouse. How do I translate that to other relationships? Absolutely. How do I make sure that I have close people in my life so that I can still be bonded and to enjoy healthy relationships? Because I think it is so easy to get caught up in, you know, I have my spouse and my kids and I don't really need much from the outside world. And, and... It goes both ways. We hear that, but then you also hear people who say, you know, he's not a family man or he's not around enough. So how do you find that balance somewhere in the middle so that you can say I have a healthy relationship with my family, but I also have a life outside of my family occasionally as well? Yeah, the balance is the key, isn't it? I guess that's somehow being able to manage the present and the future. you got to be able to get prepared for what you'll need in the future, yet still live it in the present. That's always the challenge, isn't it? In almost everything we do in life to figure out how do you find that balance and sometimes it feels like things are out of whack and you need to reprioritize and change things around but to to make sure that you're striving to make things as balanced as you can. Yeah, interesting. It's great. It's great insight. Amy, as we wrap it up, what would you say is the one thing, the one thing we should all remember when it comes to our relationships and um, and especially maybe the guys need to make sure they're practicing to, to make this principle work. I guess I would say just don't be afraid to reach out for and talk to people. I think that we tend to, in today's digital world, we tend to do too much on social media and not enough in-person social contact. So I think to reach out to, to people in real life and spend time with the people that we care about is probably the best thing we can do at this point. Yeah. That's good. Amy Morin, thank you so much. And keep up the great work there at amymorinlcsw.com. You're, you're a great resource. We appreciate it. 
So thanks for having me. You bet. Also, you can check out her articles if you go to psychologytoday.com. Just Google Amy Morin. You can look at her TED Talks and go get her book. She's she's doing it all and uh, teaching us how to be healthier friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back to a little Coach's Corner next hour, continue the discussion of male friendships. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, we talked about it uh, last, uh, just a few minutes ago, about bromances, right? Again, we got to blow up the name bromance. If you want guys to have friends, you can't call it a bromance. Blown up. Blown up. Problem solved. Thank you, Ben. Uh, we, you really got to gotta let guys have friends, but... There's there's some other stuff I think going on really and and if we don't deal with that I I think we're kidding ourselves uh, because in the end I want I would love to just go hang out in fact my favorite uh, thing in the last few years I'd get up every morning early about five thirty and I'd be golfing by six a.m. as the sun was coming up ah. Oh. Even when the sun wasn't up with three buddies, we'd go hit. In fact, it was three years ago right now. Dew. There was dew all over the grass. It was so awesome. And we would golf 18 holes, be done, I think, by 8 a.m. And I'd go right to work. I'd come home, shower, then go to work by 9. And it was was the greatest thing in the world. And the other day I was out with some of them. We're like, we really need to go golf. Again, let's go start golfing again. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm working. I'm working now. So then I thought, and again, I don't, when I get home from work, I got to be with my family because I haven't been with them. So I got to be with them. And that might be one of our problems. Guys, I think we do need best friends. We also need a job. (laughs) You got to keep your job. You got to keep it. But so don't either or it. Don't think, how can I have a friend? I don't have time for a friend. Well, you do, really, because, uh, in fact, later next hour, we'll talk to Spencer and Jerem, who are from BYU Sports Nation. They, they're they great friends. They go to lunch. They go hang out. They are best friends. So you can find your friend at work. I mean, I won't because Ben doesn't want to hang out very long. I, whoa, I, I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I say, I'll take you to lunch. You're like, I already ate. I say, I'll stuff like that. I think you're lying. I think you're making excuses. That's a good point. Very good point. <laughs> <laughs> Guys do need friends. Um, a study that they did here at Brigham Young University showed that if uh, somebody feeling lonely or being dis, you know, not connected to a social network, it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day to your health. I don't think I, – I don't usually feel lonely if I'm alone. I actually feel great. I feel better and I truly am. Nobody believes it, but I'm a true introvert. I love being alone. Love it. Love it. And so let me give you some tools, some tricks of the trade 
um, we got to bond in a way that feels natural to us. One of the things I'm a big believer is men bond shoulder to shoulder. Women bond eye to eye. Most men don't just love sitting eye to eye talking. I mean, they do. But even when they're talking, they're not eye to eye. We're shoulder to shoulder. So guys, go look for something that feels more natural to you. An easy way to figure out how what is natural to you is what would you go do in your free time? If you go hit a bucket of balls, then call a buddy and go hit a bucket of balls with a buddy. And you guys can still talk and 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 handle that and, and do that together. But learn how your partner bonds by noticing what they do to feel close and connect to others. I know a guy in my neighborhood that just serves everybody. He, he walks around the neighborhood and he literally sees where somebody needs something and he'll go help them. If he sees me out working on my lawnmower, he'll stop. He just stops and helps. Now, I'm embarrassed. Like, I can't turn it on. He's like, no, you got to pull that cord thing. Just pull it. There we go. Starts right up. He'll go serve people. Men, um, by the way, socialize, I call it, on convenience over connection. So a man's social network tends to be built out of convenience. My social life is run by my wife. My wife will create activities and things for us to do, and so I just follow her lead. But some other ways that uh, it's out of convenience is I might socialize through my family, through my kids, through my church, through my work. Those are all things that are already convenient to me. I'm already going to be at church on Sunday, so that could create a lot of my social relationships. I'm going to be going to my kids' games. Maybe I could be more involved in my activities with my kids. Maybe I could become a coach or an assistant coach on one of their sports teams. This might be a way for me to meet more people. As a, as a family man, I might be able to connect or be best friends with my sisters, my brothers, family members. So – just know that you don't have to go to the bar and pick up a friend, but I might be able to pick up friends going on a date with my wife and we double with a couple, or I might be able to go hang out with brothers if I had any, or brothers-in-law, or with my kids and their social activities, or with my church groups and just the people that I associate with in my church or community, or I could pick up my friends at work. I have 40 to 50 hours a week to bond with people. Right? Friends. Okay, Ben? So we're going to try bonding this week or something. Okay, I guess we can try. Yeah. God. I know. Well, it doesn't have to work. I mean, if it you doesn't work. You just have to say I'll, that we did it, right? Yeah. Okay. And if it doesn't work, we'll let you go. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Wait, let me go? <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. We'll sort it out later. Not a big deal. Anyway, folks, there's a million ways to find the time. So don't make it about time. Make it just about who do you hang with? And Trust your wife a little bit on this too. Trust your spouse. Maybe they have some insight into somebody you might like to hang out with. Anyway, fun, fun stuff. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. Next hour, we're going to be talking about men and grieving. Today seems like the male focus day. But we'll be talking about men and grief. If you know somebody going through pain uh, of a loss, this is a show you're going to want to listen to. We'll be right back talking male and grief. Stick with us. This is 
The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the show. If you've missed the first two, groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. We talked politics with Joe Cannon. We then talked bromance with Amy Morin. And now we're going to get into the uh, really kind of more of grieving for men. Guys that, how do you show your emotions, for heaven's sakes? A lot of times we, we make it seem like men don't do that. Yeah, men don't do that. So Rick Belden will be joining us. And uh, he is he's, he's a, an explorer and a chronicler of the psychology and inner lives of men. He's going to walk us through men and huh, emotion. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, he wrote the book Iron Man Family Outing, poems about transition into the more conscious manhood. Anyway, interesting stuff we're going to be getting into in a few moments. Um, we also are going to be talking, hello, with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation, two guys that are not afraid to show their emotion. In fact, sometimes they show a lot, way too much. Uh, no, great guys, and we're going to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Seriously, the funnest 15 minutes of my day. I mean, other than when I see Ben and Terry for the first time after a long weekend. Just, Thanks, Matt. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Anywho, let's uh, get to the headlines, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. New ABC Washington Post poll out. Donald Trump leads Hillary Clinton 46% to 44%, indicating consolidation of the Republican Party after he secured the nomination. And it, many are saying it's just too early to tell. So, you know, polls. President Obama might be, uh, he's on his 10th trip to Asia, but on this visit, he will become the first sitting American president to visit Hiroshima since 1945. Obama began his trip in Vietnam on Sunday, his first visit to the country, sharing a complicated political and military history with the United States. Didn't know yeah. if you knew that. No, I heard about uh, it. Obama this morning announced in Hanoi that the U.S. is fully lifting the ban military equipment to Vietnam that has been in place for some 50 years. So good good news for the industrial military complex. Excellent. Cha-ching! Moving and on. Now, but it seems like the Chinese are probably hating that idea. Yes, and that's a lot of the motivation the White House is saying is because they're yeah. ramping up and Vietnam's like, keep, let us protect yeah, ourselves. Keep China on their toes. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of a death row inmate Timothy Tyrone Foster this morning in a case concerning uh, racial discrimination in the jury selection process. Foster, a black man, is on death row in Georgia for the 87 murder of an elderly white woman. An all-white jury convicted him after prosecutors unconstitutionally blocked African-American jurors from the trial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Here we go. There you go. Seven to one decision. The only dissenter, Clarence Thomas. Wow. Not sure what that means. Just found that kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Donald Trump has called global warming a total hoax on the campaign trail, but the alleged billion uh, alleged billionaire. I like that. <laughs> the writing is funny. Has also tried to build a seawall around a golf course in Ireland to protect it from global warming and its effects. Trump is reportedly applying for permission to build a coastal protection for his County Clare golf course to curb erosion. 
Trump's International Golf Links and Hotel in Ireland's uh, permit application mentions global warming specifically as a rising sea level and extreme weather can increase damage. Politico points out that Trump's hypocrisy illustrates the conflict between his political rhetoric and the realities of building a business with seaside assets in the 21st century. Hmm. So make of that as you Whatever you, you need to. And finally, a 12-year-old Sacramento student who already has three community college degrees and has been accepted to two University of California campuses as he plans on studying biomedical engineering and becoming a doctor and medical researcher by the time he turns 18. Okay, this kid's 12. He's 12. Man, grow up. He was accepted to Mensa at four. Wow, yeah. And somewhere in the middle there graduated high school, probably about nine. I hate kids like this. Hate kids. He, uh, what, he, UC Davis and UC Santa Cruz have accepted him. He's yet to decide on which university he'll go to. Um, he says he already has his life planned out. He'll start out as a doctor, then as a medical researcher, and then finally he'll be president of the United States. We talked about this wow. kid before. This kid's a superstar. Ben, he's got two associate degrees by the time he's uh, 12. What have you been doing this week? I've been making a lot of ice cream. I like ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) I like to see that can make ice cream. Oh, don't tempt him, dude. He'll be on that in about, what, a minute? Yeah. Hey, like... That's not his plan, by the way. Art is different than intellectual ability. That's true. So he probably can't even make ice cream. But this uh, 12-year-old Sacramento kid... Yeah. I don't know if he knows what a video game is. I'm sure he doesn't. If he does, he'd be totally corrupted. But does he have friends? He probably does. Yeah, he probably does. Probably has a very balanced life. I mean, really, when you're that smart, you have to keep moving, right? So this is nothing. He's just smart. My guess is a low amount of TV in his life. Yeah. TV eats up so much time. But it probably bores him. It would bore him. Yeah, too. Because the guy wants to be a doctor, then a medical researcher, then the president. He doesn't – he didn't want to be an actor. When he went to the community college at first, they required that his mother go to class with him because oh, they weren't sure. sure if he could keep up. That's the last thing you want the kid, like, hazed. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the hazing process in the fraternity when you're 12? Well, there's no fraternity when you're 12. You're not really living on campus. Ah, uh, or are you? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, mom's got to be with you now. Did you hear about Donald Trump's businesses are just soaring? Yeah. It's like running for president has really helped. It's a big boost to his uh, bottom line. It's it's crazy, but apparently um, his everything's taking off. Uh, his resort at Mar Mar a Lago mm-hmm. revenue nearly doubled, climbing from 16 million in 2014 in the first half of 2015 to about 30 million. Yeah, he's doing okay. He's se- he's selling his brand well. Yeah, Isn't that weird. That seems that's also the exact same place that they hold all of his press conferences after he wins. Yeah. So all the press corps have to fly there. He'll win some state in the West and then hold a press conference in Florida. Because, That's you know, brilliant. Why not? That's how he's getting all his money back. Take that $15 million from the media. When he had that press conference with the steak and the water and the magazines, that was all of his Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Trump water bottles, uh, his brand Trump Ice, they call it, is up from making 280000 last year to 413000 this year. There you go. That's just paying. Well, they just probably put that on his website. Oh, sure. Who wants a bottle of water? Yeah, or just took all of Marco's water because Marco Rubio doesn't need it anymore. <laughs> That's right. Well, Marco drank most of it. Well, his he's water. thirsty, so you know. 
His book, Crippled America, made between one and five million in royalties. So running for president is huge for book sales. <sighs> yeah, president Obama? Sure. Loaded. His first couple of years in office, he made tons of money off his books. Loving it. Seriously. Did you see this story that came out of Auschwitz? Tragic. But no. I mean it just brought back incredible memories. They found a mug, like a metal tin cup. And in the bottom of the tin cup there was a false bottom mm-hmm. and it was it had jewelry in it. And because of the wear of and the rust, it just eventually opened up and they found a ring and a necklace that was hidden away in the bottle of a tin cup bottom of a tin cup. Can you imagine the, the actual story behind the jewelry? Ugh. <sighs> anyway, we'll, we'll put that up on our Twitter page so you can see it. Pretty cool. Also, it shows you the power of surviving. People that will do anything just to survive. I mean, they would have probably been maybe killed or at least that jewelry would have been confiscated like all the other jewelry. Anyway, interesting things. Um, what else is going on? It's Escogar, it's Escogar Escargo Day. Uh which we just we, – we, we kind of blew up last hour as why. I mean I get it. If you're on a deserted island and you're you – know, what's the name of that show? Naked and um, – Naked and Afraid. Naked and Afraid. <laughs> then eat a snail. It's ridiculous. I don't get it. Um, but if you're not naked and afraid, then – But you have to stop and explain the, lo- the high level of protein. Yeah. It's in this thing you're going to eat. I mean, I'm about to suck a, a slug out of a shell, but. Uh, oh, the protein. This the will protein. do my body my well. My body needs the protein. <laughs> you're like, nope. Nah, you're fine. It's like when uh, President Obama went out with, uh, is it Bear Grylls? They did <laughs> yeah. that, that out in the. I never actually saw the end. I wanted to see that. Is that. I guess that's out now. Yeah, but that's what, that's what Bear Grylls does now. Is he'll sit there and explain. Exactly what he's doing, why he's doing it, why this is a good idea. Then he eats a mouse. And you're like, mm-hmm. dude, dude, you just ate a mouse. You know what is? Uh, and your camera crew sitting there with burritos or something. <laughs> well, and it, and he caught the mouse, and then he was so excited. Then he had to skin the mouse. Then he had to eat the mouse. Yeah, it's just. But you know, he just spits it out and then rolls over and gets an energy bar. I hope so. I mean, you hope. This is TV. You can edit. Um, for any of you out there in listener land that were thinking that uh, you don't want to eat a mouse, mm. I also wouldn't vape. I sat next to a lady today at the at my light, ready to get on the freeway. She was vaping, but like she was creative vaping. She would vape. She, well, vaping is an electronic. It's like an e-cigarette, mm-hmm. and she would suck in the smoke or, or whatever we're the calling vape, it. The, the vapor, vape. The, the vapor. vapor. There you go. But then she was blowing rings. Mm-hmm. But she was like hyperventilating doing it, getting as much in as she could. I think she was practicing her ring blowing. Okay. She was also probably 19. Maybe there's a contest. Probably. She's probably entered into a contest. But uh, there's, there's uh, pictures out there now of a man that had been vaping and the vapor, vapor – the vape cigarette thing blew up and well, burnt the, his tongue. There is a, a problem with some of the reporting on those. They don't really tell you if they modified Ah, uh, you can modify. That's a big thing. People want to modify so they can make bigger, you know, plumes of smoke. Me want big 
vape. Right. So that's and, and it lets you bring in more than uh, the if you just buy them off the shelf. Apparently, they have some sort of uh, yeah re- some technology that regulates how much you can take so in. So if you take the governor off, you're so vape. you take the governor off basically, and and they'll the, the, but the, you'll see them <laughs> modded, and they're all different types. And but when you do that, they're also messing with. And it's the same thing that's in the uh, the uh, the hoverboards, the lithium battery. And you start uh, messing with the batteries, and all of a sudden things explode in your face. Don't let your kids vape. Seriously. Yeah. Not good. That's what they're finding. They're going to blow up in your face. We talked about it on the show. Go Google Matt Townsend and vaping. We did a whole show on it. Just keep your kids away from exploding vapes. Hide your kids. Hide your kids. And hide your kids. Also, uh, self-driving cars. Yes, I can hardly wait. They could be a difficult for public safety, something Why? difficult. Come on. So uh, Google has a patent that they filed on May 17th, right? It says the patent describes as an adhesive layer put over the front end of the car that may be very sticky material and operate in a manner similar to a flypaper or double-sided duct tape designed to prevent pedestrians from further injury if hit by a self-driving car. <laughs> it's out of the San Jose Mercury News. So when they get hit, they get they stick, like, to, the stick to the hood. Instead of going instead of going under the car, right? Well, that's nice. The technology, which will also work on ordinary cars, will bring both the vehicle and the pedestrian to a more gradual stop than if the pedestrian bounces off the vehicle. The sticky stuff will be under an eggshell like layer, so it won't end up. You won't end up being. It won't get covered with bugs and stuff on everyday vehicle use. But if you hit enough, you'll break that outer shell. And the, the, the can person you imagine the, the humiliation <laughs> of being stuck to some guy's hood? You're stuck to a self-driving car. Pull over. <laughs> it says that the idea sounds like it has potential to prevent injuries. American Physical Society, uh, Physician Society spokesperson says getting hit by a car once <laughs> is much preferable than getting hit by a car and then ran over, you know, over yeah, the ground. No, that's a good Cyclists point. wear helmets not as much to prevent their head impact with the car as much as their head impact with the ground when they fall. A Google spokesperson declined this. Google spokesperson wow. designed to just didn't want to talk about it. Basically, you so know, they're trying to put flypaper on the front. Of as, the car. as a guy who have I have stepped in a sticky trap before. It's a mess. Yeah, and I think I lost a sock to the sticky trap. But in this case, you're not going to get ran over by the car. No, it's that's a great. It's honestly a great advantage. And so far, every I don't know how they'll get you off the car. Every Google self-driving car accident has been at relatively low speeds. Can you just see the paramedics pull up and like, well, what do we do? I guess we take the hood. Just take the whole hood. Just take it off. Take him to the hospital with the hood. You peel him off. Just I don't know. Honestly, seems interesting. It probably, you know, it's weirder things have happened. Plus, we will now all relate to what a bug feels like when you hit a hood. Well, sort of. Minus the implosion. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Wow. See the stuff you find out on this show. Mm -mm 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 Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. You gotta love it. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be talking about men and grief and, uh, you know, how men are supposed to learn to grieve and how do we make it okay socially. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Feelings are something we all are entitled to have, no matter what our gender is. But sometimes it can seem as though people think men should be immune from feelings and emotions. If you see a man cry, you may look the other way to avoid feeling uncomfortable. Rick Belden, a respected explorer and chronicler of the psychology and inner life of men, says most men routinely reject vital aspects of themselves and their histories because they do not want or do not know how to feel and move through their grief that is bound up and waiting inside them. He joins us today from Austin, Texas, to discuss the dangers of men bottling their grief and what we can do to help them. Rick Belden, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks very much for having me on. You bet. Honored to have you. It really is an interesting um, subject because forever, I guess, it seems like we've told, you know, boys don't cry and just rub dirt on it. You'll be fine. And yet, um, but dealing with emotion is a major, it's a major part of life, right? You're not going to get out of life without having some emotional situations that have to be managed. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, I was actually listening to the last hour and uh, listening to you speak with Amy. Yeah, um, and hearing some of the things you said. And uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a there's still, even though in my perception, my observation, there is a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of uh, direction. There's a lot of even pressure for uh, men to to show themselves as being more emotional, to express more feeling. At the same time, there's almost a, a, a perception that men are not as emotionally complex and their lives are not as emotionally rich as women's are. Mm. Um, and I think that that acts as you know a force of discouragement for men uh, to who just kind of potentially accept that and think, well, you know, the reason I'm not able to sort of express feelings so much is that I just don't have them. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I think you're on to something. And men need... We just need like – it also seems like role models and examples. I mean how many times has it been where like a president, you, you just can't cry. Presidents don't cry and if you cry, it's like the death – you know, it's like the death mark. Um, but it's it's almost in everything we do. Is it is it is it cultural? Is it parental? Is it just our genders? How do we How do we instill this idea that men are too tough to cry? Well, I think it, I think it has. Uh, there are aspects of all three of the things that you mentioned. Um, there are certainly cultural prohibitions, I would say, against men showing certain uh, characters of emotion and, and, and crying uh, is is one of those. Uh, I you know I can speak from my own situation. Certainly, uh, my childhood experience in the family, not just in the family, but also at school. Um, deeply affected my ability to access that part of my emotional life and to sort of be with it and express it and feel safe with it. Um, but uh, And I'm not someone who's an expert in these areas, but I think there are some, uh, some actual physiological issues uh, having to do with hormones and having to do with I, – I, I, don't hold me to this, but I, I think I read somewhere once that men potentially even have, on average, smaller tear ducts than women do. Yeah, no, I've heard that, um, too. And, and an yeah. aversion. I've even heard of men having, in some research, that men have an aversion to tears. So when they smell tears, they actually are repulsed. They repel where women, when when it sounds weird, but in the test they were having them smell different things. And one of the things were were human tears and men were repelled by it where women were kind of more attracted or pulled to it. 
Yeah, I've, that's a that's a good point. I remember reading about that myself. So, you know, the it's the old nature versus nurture argument to some extent, and there are some. I think there probably are some inherent differences in terms of physiology between men and women that have an impact. But uh, I think the the bigger sort of factor is the sort of what a man sees as cultural expectations and also potentially even bigger than that is his personal experience as a child. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's where I tend to center my work because that's what brought me into this, you know, from a personal standpoint in the first place. Yeah, I love that too because I know that I'm handing my genes down to my children and so if they could see me manage my emotions, share my emotions and, and be open about my feelings instead of stuffing them, then I might be able to teach my kids how to do that. And it, 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 there are things we can hand down to make this healthier. What, what should we be doing? How, like, how do men productively – I mean in their mind, how do they effectively manage grief? Well, uh, you know, again, I have to kind of go back to my own situation and my own experience. And also I've, I've spent a lot of time sitting in uh, men's groups with other men mm-hmm. and observing this. And I think that the maybe the biggest part of it, well, there are several parts that are big. I'll put it that way. One of the biggest roadblocks for me was dealing with shame. Um, I had so much shame around crying, around um, showing vulnerability. Anything kind of in that arena uh, brought up a tremendous amount of shame for me, but nothing brings up as much shame for me as, as crying in front of another person. Um, I literally still, if I'm uh, working in a therapeutic setting where I, where I know it should be safe and it, and it should be actually encouraged and accepted, I still frequently have to cover my face with my hands mm. because I have so much shame around it. Yeah. Um, so I would say that, that shame is a big stumbling block for a lot of men, uh, that, that has to, there has to be some strategy for that, and also fear. Um, I, have, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I have an enormous amount of fear uh, of crying. It feels death-like to me. Something's wrong, like out of control almost. Yes, exactly. I'm very afraid that I'm just, I'm just going to go crazy. I'm not going to be able to take care of myself. And also there was, in my case, there was, there was punishment uh, as a child for crying. If you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry for. Mm. And it was, you know, it wasn't an idle threat. And um, so any, and, and this, you know, I think this affects men more than women for a lot of reasons, but certainly there are girls that grow up with those kind of threats too. Yeah. And it's a real inhibitor. Um, and so, and that's, so the, the shame and the fear, I think, are two things that as an individual, uh, or if you're a therapist who's working with men, you have to recognize that those things are probably going to be present to some degree in a man who's having trouble, uh, having difficulty accessing grief. Oh, and, and, um, there's something too. I, I look at my clients where that are males that that are, that don't seem to have any shame or any fear of it, and just emoting and caring. And I sit there and I think, wow, you are so lucky to just not care to do that. But interestingly too, I've even seen relationships where the guy became too emotive and the female got sick of it. And I, then I'm yes. thinking, oh, don't don't discourage emotion that's healthy and positive. Don't don't don't, um, because it's such a rare thing I, to see with my clients. Yeah, I, I you know, and that's an important observation too. A lot of 
a lot of the the way that men approach grief and expressing it uh, is going to be heavily influenced by uh, the way that their mother uh, reacted when they were a child to their tears and their upsets and also to the way that they think that their partner or any woman, you know, just in general might react to that. Uh, That could be another real inhibitor, too. And I've had the experience, I'm sorry to say it, and I think a lot of men have, too, where, you know, we're encouraged to open up um, by a woman that we're close with. And when we do, and it's not even her fault, she just doesn't know how to handle it. And it's like, whether it's overt or sort of gentle, it's like, I need to shut this guy down because this is getting out of control and yeah. I don't know what to do with it. Oh, that's so hard. Now, Rick, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. I want, to, I want you to give us some keys, some tools for what we can do as men and if, you know, people that love men to be able to, to make it a little easier for guys to get, let their emotion out. Again, Rick Belden is his name. If you go to his website, rickbelden.com, he's a poet, an author, an artist. Great website, uh, wonderful tool to help us, I think, um, understand um, our emotions a lot better. And, and also just as men to, to at least hear what other men think. It's um, it might it might free you up quite a bit. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Helping you see the good in the world, guys. We gotta let the emotion out in a healthy way. Stick with us. We'll show you some tools in just a few minutes. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've got to figure it out, guys. Emotions are part of being human. And uh, a lot of times the way we were raised, the way we were socialized, we may have been told it's not right, it's not healthy, big boys don't cry, except life is going to throw you curveballs where you need to be able to share your emotions. And Rick Belden is joining us. Uh, Rick Belden is a writer and an author. We found one of his writings um, on Huffington Post. You can find many of them there. He, you can also um, just go to rickbelden.com, a great resource for everybody. Uh, as, as we're trying to understand the inner lives of men, uh, Rick, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Matt. This is a great discussion. This is fun for us. And I, I need to, I mean, I really think it's important because as guys, we will. We'll just stuff it in, won't we? And then what I see is a lot of times it just comes out in uglier ways, right? Yeah, or it comes out in illness, um, yeah, or sickness. it comes out in, in you know, uh, failure patterns that yeah. are real frustrating that we just can't understand. It's like, I'm doing my best. Why does this keep happening? Well, and especially the shame. And if you're already prone to have shame and fear around emotion, then the more failures you have, the more lack of success you have will only create more fear and failure. So that becomes exactly. a cycle. Yep, it does. Oh, that's painful. What are some things, Rick, that you've just seen in all of your work uh, that are – what are some things we can do? What are you seeing are successful ways for men to, to, to get used to getting their emotion out in a healthy way? Well, we could talk about this for a long time, but I'll try to – Yeah, no, you've got so many articles. In fact, on your website – I mean, just listen to a few of these. Um, men in grief, what if he cries? Healing is not for wimps. What do you need right now? I mean, there's so many of these topics that people need. 
Yeah, what if he cries is not to self-promote, but I mean, I think that's a really good one for folks that, especially for women uh, that are, you know, trying to understand how do I support this guy that I'm with? I can see that he's in pain, and it seems like when I try to approach him to encourage him, uh, you know, to show me his pain, he backs up. Um, and it's not a thorough ex- uh, exploration of that, but I think it, it it's a good intro- introduction to some of the things that women and partners and, you know, people that want to be supportive can can do and how they can approach a man. And a lot of it has to do with just, uh, you know, giving the man the space that he needs and, you know, trying to be patient, try to be respectful and, and be a good witness and to let them define their own process and, and their own pace and their own terms. Hmm. Because uh, you said something earlier that I was actually going to say, you talked about the fact that, you know, people say that women work best face to face, men work best shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Um, so that, that dynamic gets a little complicated when a woman's trying to support a man. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> she's eye to eye and he, he'd like to turn and let's go work on it. Yeah, and so if he turns shoulder to shoulder with you, that doesn't mean that he's turning away from you. That means he's trying to move into his natural mode uh, so that he can process things in a way that feels True. safe and at the right pace and everything. And, and uh, you know, a lot of men are used to being shut down. Uh, we, you know, we referred to that earlier. And, uh, and a lot of people, not just women, but men and women, are they find it distressing when someone else is crying and they want to hand them a box of tissues. Mm. And they want to basically get them to stop. And some of that's compassionate, and I think some of that's discomfort. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I think that's one of the biggest challenges for anybody. And I was in a men's group a few months ago, and one of the guys started to cry, and I almost had to bolt myself to the couch not give him the tissues. Uh, and I know better. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so, so true. So That's true. So those are some things that, you know, from a, from a supportive standpoint, from the standpoint of, you know, uh, an individual man, you know, trying to, like, how do I approach this stuff? Um, I think one of the most important things that he can cultivate is a, a better sense of what's happening in his body moment to moment. Uh, because I've seen this in myself. I've seen it again in, in men's groups over and over again. You know, having trouble, you can feel that something wants to express. You can't quite get there. But if you can just kind of focus in and go, where am I feeling? What am I feeling in my body right now? Well, I'm, a little, I'm feeling a little, little choked up. You know, mm-hmm. I feel a little bit of energy in my chest. And I've just seen over and over again with myself and others that, you know, particularly if there's somebody to help facilitate, but you can learn to do it yourself. Uh, if you can stay with that, um, it actually, the body really is the gateway for these things to start to move. And I think it's a, it's a source of information that, that men can trust if they develop some experience with it. No, I love that too, because you, when your body does start, like your heart's racing or, your mouth is drying up or whatever. It also could – if you don't pay attention to it and understand it, you, you might actually react more to it, which might make it worse. Yes. yes. So, so then so you can actually be confident of, in what your body's doing. Yeah, and, it, and again, it takes trial and error. Yeah. Uh, and it takes practice. And, you know, honestly, uh, I spent from December through uh, whatever it was, the end of March, four months straight, I went into the deepest period of grieving I'd ever been in in my life. Wow. Um, and it – it, some of it was just downright frightening, uh, but but experience breeds confidence. Yeah, you know? um, and so it still scares me, but I feel more confident now. It's like, oh yeah, I cried forty times in three months. That's more than I've cried in the last ten years, and I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah. yeah. Uh, so that would be my. I guess that would be kind of another recommendation. Is like you know, develop experience and you know in the best ways that you can, and try to find. It's not easy for men to find support for this. Uh, no. 
It just isn't. I wish it were. Um, but that doesn't mean don't look. Right. Know? That's what I think your articles, I think, are powerful because even just getting into a few of them, it'll at least broaden their perspective and make them realize that a lot of what they're going through is normal. It will just normalize some of this. Yes, yes. I mean, again, I've seen it over and over again with myself and other men in groups. It's just it, there is men's there is so much going on inside men, um, and but we don't really have good outlets for it. And, mm. and it's not enough. You can't just you can't just tell guys, okay, start emoting now. <laughs> right. You know? Ready, I mean, go. Yeah, it doesn't work that right. way. And also, you know, it's it's really, I think it's actually ethically wrong to sort of insist that people open up when the support's not there for them mm-hmm. because they're, because you need some support. Because if I do open up and then you can't handle me opening up, like that was another study that was out there that women always say they want to know what we're thinking. But then when we tell them, they're like, what the... Yeah. You're out of control. Then that yeah. scares them, and then then all of a sudden it it's not as safe. And I don't blame them because no, right. they don't know either. Exactly. Nobody's very few people have seen this stuff modeled, you know, in real life. Um, so it's it's I think it's completely to be expected that the man doesn't quite know how to go about it, and if he starts to, the woman thinks, oh, my God, I don't really know what to do here. It would be better if he just sort of like took the tissues and stiffled a little bit and we could call it done. <laughs> right. Such good advice, though. Just that we got to get deeper, don't we, and understand it more and and figure out a way to get it modeled. And then also once, we, once we're modeling it and it's working, then we can call that success and then we know what it looks like. So it, it'll start to take some of the pressure out of it. Exactly. And it was honestly a complete mystery to me 25 years ago. When I first uh, was in my first men's groups and the facilitators were talking about grief, and, of course, Robert Bly was very popular at that time. He was talking about grief. I had no clue what they were talking about. I honestly had no experience that I could reference for me to understand. I understood the dictionary definition, but from a personal experiential standpoint, I did not understand it. It has taken me years Hmm. uh, because I was so blocked. Man, Rick, it's great stuff. we got to have you back because there's so many other topics we can talk about, about how to manage the negative emotion or the or the anger and other emotions as well as shame. So, Rick, we'll have you back, and we appreciate your time today. Yeah, I'd love to come back. I enjoyed it a lot. You bet. Everybody, okay. go check out the website, rickbeldon.com. Uh, great resource, really, to just start to understand the men around you. This could be your dad, also your husband, sons. Interesting, interesting insight, I think, for all of us. We'll have more with Rick Belden um, in the next few months as well. Stick with us. We're going to take a break. Go visit two of our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. See what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to come up on their show in just about uh, 14 minutes or so. Gentlemen, how you doing down there? Are you there, kids? Oh, I know you're enjoying the music too much, aren't you? 
Sia? It's Sia, yeah. Sia? Do you like it? Sure, yeah. I didn't hear you guys singing, so... I've never heard the song. I didn't know who was singing. No, hold on. Really? You're telling me the 47-year-old middle-aged man is bringing you new tunes? That's not you. It's your board up. No, I brought that one in. I just bought that. No, you I swear. I just bought it. It's because I have young kids. You don't need to lie, Matt. And I also exactly. no yeah. no I also watched carpooling with James Corden, and he had Sia as one of his guests. Yeah, so that's where I found that. Yeah, How yeah. That? How about that? Yeah. How about that? Hey, um, you guys, what? Do you, I need your insight. Mm-hmm. I need your insight. Okay. Uh, Thunder Warriors. Yeah. What's well, going to happen? Weird. That got weird last night, didn't it? That got really weird. Like I've, I've lost my hope. Why have you lost your hope? It's game three. I know, but it just seems like they're struggling too much. They'll, oh, the Warriors! Resistance. They'll oh. be fine. Are you sure? They'll be fine. Poor man. Yes. I know. I'm getting scared. <laughs> I'm so scared. They, I, this will be the Warriors are going to win game four. Are they? Yes. Okay. Okay. See, Spence, I appreciate your power, your support. The Warriors will win game four. And if they don't win game four, they'll win game six. Spencer will shave his head. No. <laughs> I will not do that. Spencer ever. is not ever going to shave his head. <laughs> never say never. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. Hey, guys, guess what I got today? Other what? than this, a bunch of songs from Sia. I got some new, um, some new sound effects. And I just want you guys to just tell me which one is your favorite today. Sure. Okay. Are you ready? Oakley Doakley. Yep. Who, who said Oakley Doakley? That's uh, Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders. Yeah. Oakley Doakley. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anybody know that one? Say it, play it again. The dude from oh, yeah. No. It's from Fargo. Fargo. Oh, no yeah. Idea. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Here's one. You talking to me? You talking to me? De Niro. Yeah, classic De Niro in every movie he's ever been in. And if you can name this commercial and this company, you win the prize today. That's kind of a loud thing. Doritos? I don't know. Toasty. Toasty? Quiznos? Quiznos. You win the prize. Dude, I love Quiznos. The honey bacon, Toasty! the honey bacon club at that place is Hold amazing. Hold on, I'm gonna write that down because the closest Quiznos now. Because is there one by University Mall? A bunch shut down. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. My wife loves Quiznos. No mo, no mo Quizno. Ain't no, no mo Quizno. <laughs> Quiznos, uh, uh, what do you call it? Is honey. That the sound effect of a door. Uh, that or was, was that the real door. That was actually the real door. Are you serious? Uh huh. Get the WD forty on that puppy. Oh, <laughs> no, nice. No, Open that, it again. Let's what hear. It. You, what are no, you doing up there? Was, in that was, I think in that was actually. Two. We were just actually. That's us rotating a screen that is in front of me that oh, yeah. pushes the Let's buttons. Let's hear it again. Good grief! I, we leave Studio Two for one. I, I am going to play month. this one. What do you guys think of this one? The huddle's like a chocolate cake, man. <laughs> the huddle is like a chocolate cake, man. Yeah. That's that a, was Spencer referencing Louis Lapuavo yes. on Friday. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and that was Jerem getting really excited. That was, that was you recording us after we were off the air. No, I don't think so. That was you. Did we? we yeah, I think, this, I think this we said after Friday's show. I think we said, Jerem, did, did you? Did you kiss? Did you kiss your wife? <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Subway, Subway <laughs> Sub of the Week. It's after BYU Sports Nation in a minute. Is that what it is? Subway Sub of the Week. So we do, I say like, because we do BYU Sports Nation in a minute every day. And if and we get down to like the last second, on it's, I have to say, that's BYU Sports Nation in a minute. <laughs> that's a reference to our good friend Tom Kirkland. Yes. Who used to work uh, up yeah. at KSL TV. And he would, they would do this thing on Sports Beat Sunday on KSL. The Subway Sub of the Week. There you go. But he'd say, Subway Sub of the Week! That's your Subway <laughs> Sub of the Week! <laughs> See, you guys? This is good. See, we catch a lot of your stuff. And then we use it against place you. to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Indeed. Are, are you guys still doing your show today? That we are. What, what's going to be on the show today? Yeah. The Rebirth of Ooh. BYU Baseball. Ew. One team. <laughs> what happened One to the original birth? They... The, the How can a man be reborn? <laughs> <laughs> they have Nicodemus. Been, they have been spiritually cleansed by a championship. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, not like that. Okay, that's interesting. BYU Baseball is the tri-champ of the West Coast Conference. Sweet. So we asked the question today, what does it mean? Because they play in the conference tournament this week. Uh, they're trying to get into the NCAA tournament, which the selection shows next Monday. By the way, we will we will be live on Memorial Day to give you the latest on BYU oh. baseball in the tournament or not. You guys next have week. to work on Monday. Well, right. the show will, the show is on. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you said we you. We the show. Yeah. We the show will we, be. We the yeah. show will be live to tape. Live on Monday. But yeah. live, but it'll feel live. Uh, will it, I be here? No. no. Tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I will be here. TBD on Jerem. Isn't isn't it a, a isn't a tri championship like kissing your sister and your brother? In the not same. When you, not I, when you I haven't won. Not when you haven't won one in a very long time. We'll tell you okay. how long it's been coming up. Okay. Okay. This is good. This it's is good. It's been a long time. Mike, a long the head coach day. of the regular season tri champion BYU Cougars, Mike Littlewood, will join us, oh, yeah. and uh, he'll tell you exactly how he feels about a regular season championship. In fact, you already know the answer to that if you listened to the show last week. I think I heard it right here. <laughs> that was a great clip from last week. <laughs> That's Maybe not. Maybe it was a different one. So much nonsense in that little totally clip. That that is the uh, adjective to describe our show. Nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. No. Nonsense in HD. No. Nonsensical. You guys are more like incense. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Yes. It sounds like a great show. You're going to kill it. Then I can tell. We're really excited. I also arm wrestled Cosmo. I'll tell you how the results of that <gasps> yeah. went on Saturday. And the women's golf fair at the uh, NCAA championship. They were at the championship. We'll yes, yes. Did they end up playing on Sunday or not? Nah, I, I know the answer, but I'm not going to give it. Of course they did. Don't give it. I'm not going to give the answer. Um, guys, that's a great show. When is it not? Um, do you really want the answer? <laughs> no. Nope. Okay, that was just a hypothetical. Okay. okay oh, wait, a rhetorical. Stop, wait, someone awake. All right, guys, knock them dead. Go wax up, wax off. I understand. You got to get going. Okay. I mean, okay. I'll wrap up the show. I got to finish my weight loss shake. The, yeah, chug that thing yeah, down. Lose, yeah, lose weight. Yeah, you want to smell mm, that the rest of the day. Like <laughs> it tastes like chocolate milk. It's pretty good. Mm. That's the idea, right? It's got 10 grams of protein. That's really why I'm drinking it. Really? Yeah, Don't you have to work eat. out to eat that? I worked out on Saturday. Well, these are really great during, sound effects. During a we commercial can, shoot. Did you? We can actually hear your it just dropping down your throat. <laughs> it's kind of harsh. Anyway, have a good show, gentlemen. <laughs>
Knock them dead. Goodbye. Goodbye. We need to make sure we get uh, – did you hear Jerem was singing in the middle of that one, Ben? You're going to want to grab that one. Yeah. So I, I edit their Sports Nation in, the, in a minute. Yeah. So I can get all the juicy off-camera sounds. Oh, that's perfect. Sounds. That's how you're doing it. Yep. I was wondering how you're steaming. That, that's why I labeled it Sports Nation Spy. Ah. Oh, I couldn't see that. No. Okay, yeah. I felt pretty cool. That's really good. Keep yeah. spying on them. Okay. Keep spying on them. Um, hey, a few more things we got to talk about. For a few of you, you're going to get out this uh, next couple of weeks, start mowing the lawn a lot more. Uh, but uh, for a few dedicated motorsports lovers, Sunday marked the start of the British lawnmower racing season, in which participants drive laps around a track and a slightly souped-up sit-down lawnmower with blades removed, of course just for the children. The championship dreamt up in a countryside pub in 1973 runs from May to October and features three categories, roller-driven mowers, wheel-driven mowers, and wheel-driven lawn tractors. It's a little unusual. It's not like jumping in a car and turning the wheel and pebble and, you know, and pedals and gears and everything, said Dean Fuller, British champion on the wheel-driven variety. At the season's first meeting in Surrey, You've got to learn how to lean and how to break the different types of surfaces. So it really doesn't take three or four years before you get the hang of it. Oh, it really does take. It's going to take a while, folks. It's not like you can just go get on your John Deere tractor mower and just start racing. No, no, no. You got to learn to lean. You got to learn to. You got to learn to do to skid and to to just corner appropriately. So we wish them the best of luck. And uh, pray that nobody loses a foot. <laughs> I've never been into motor or uh, lawnmower racing. Well, it gives you extra motivation when you know there's a blade turning yeah. below the lawnmower. Personally, I this will tell you a lot about me. I didn't start – I started mowing lawns when I was like 10. I was very young because I was the only boy in the household. But my lawnmower was an electric lawnmower, so mine sounded more like a vacuum. <laughs> and I looked like I was vacuuming my lawn. And so anything that involves a motor now, I mean, I've, I, I've got it. I've mowed lawns with, with nice Briggs and Stratton kind of engines. However, kind of scares you. Scares me a bit. Yeah. Because I'm used to the quieter. Well, what always scares me is like the fear of going over a rock and have it shoot at you. Oh, yeah. Because that happened a couple of times. Yeah, sure. So There's big rocks in Hawaii, too. Yeah. Yeah. As you know, we like to always end this show with a hero story. Today's hero is a seven-year-old boy that saves his dad from a house fire in California. Listen to this story from CBSNews.com. Uh, authorities in Orange County say a seven-year-old boy didn't hesitate when he smelled smoke at his home, waking up his sleeping father so the pair could escape a spreading fire. The Orange County Register says the boy was getting ready for bed Saturday night when he smelled smoke and saw the garage of his Costa Mesa home was fully engulfed. Fire Captain Chris Coates said the boy ran to wake his father, who had fallen asleep watching TV. The two ran out of the house as the fire spread through the garage to the motorhome in the driveway into the neighbor's storage shed. Took nearly 30 firefighters about 15 minutes to douse the most uh, most of the flames. The OC register says the father and the little boy escaped unharmed. Firefighters credit that to the seven-year-old boy, and uh, so that seven-year-old boy. We never got his name, but he's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Even the youngest among us 
can save us many times. So keep that in mind, folks. Many times we need to go in, back in and get the people that uh, that need the help the most. That's why we do the show, so you can see the good in the world. Check us out on Facebook, on uh, on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go to the BYU Radio app, download it, and you can listen to all of our past shows. We'll be back again tomorrow, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. And again, until tomorrow, take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.